is William Del Pilar, and this is Fired Up. As you all know, I am the conservative Latino or a conservative Latino, and Sports Grumbling's founder is actually a libertarian, and he is my guest tonight. How you doing, Big John? I'm doing fine, William, and I guess, you know, you must be hard up for guests because uh, <laughs> all you had to do was pick up the phone, and uh, amazingly enough, I was available. You know, actually, it's 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 election season. We've just been so busy, right. and I haven't been prioritizing my time well, but I could have literally had a show twice a week with different people just because that's how politics are right. or is, you know? And that's actually why we decided to finally get you on. We've been talking about this back and forth, and uh, uh, we do follow the libertarian scene. For the audience out there, I'm not a libertarian, but uh, uh, just like literally every American— <laughs> I have libertarian tendencies. And again, I firmly believe because that's common sense. And that's the whole fundamentalism of, of uh, libertarianism in terms of how I see it. But in saying that, when I say that's how I see it, I don't see a political ideology. I see a philosophy. And it's easy to uh, have a solid uh, infrastructure base or whatever you want to call it uh, of something that's common sense like that. The problem is there's something called real life and humanity and human nature and imperfection and everything like that. And from there, that's where you're, in my eyes, that's where political ideologies start to come in and they take common sense and they kind of, they don't twist it as much as they perceive it. One of the most important words I ever learned growing up was in front of the old man, the captain, <laughs> and it wasn't a good scene. And he explained to me, son, I need to tell you what, or do you know what perception is? And it's like, we all hear the word, but when you're young, you don't really understand it. You kind of know right. what it means, but you don't really understand it. And to the audience, what, what, what God was telling me when I say God, his first name was Gordon. His last name was Dorsey and O was his middle name. So being the commander of a naval warship, you know, God seemed to be an appropriate term. And uh, he kind of laid it out to me, John, and said, well, perception is the truth in terms of how people see it. It's not the technical truth. It's not the true truth. But nobody knows what the true truth is but God, because he, she goes, uh, Delpa, are you going to give your side here? The other person will give their side, and in the middle somewhere is the truth. And I've always believed that because after he told me that, and I was in my mid-20s, early 20s, or mid-20s probably, I started looking at everything for years in that perspective, you know? And it helped me understand people better. It helped me uh, get angry properly. It helped me uh, have empathy properly because even though I would look at it and perceive it my way, I would do my best to try to get to that middle ground, understanding right. the difference. And when you're a boss in the military, and, and this is a massive difference from being a boss in the civilian world, it's it's more of a, uh, a, a militaristic, what I'm trying to say, more discipline, more uh, you are the leader, you're the boss, How what you say, how you say it, that goes a long way versus a civilian. Well, guys, come on in, let's all talk about this, you right. know? Uh, and uh, so in my long-winded way, what I'm trying to say is perception, uh, 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 it's, it, it's how we look at the world. And I look at the world uh, through Republican and Democrat eyes as that's one perception here, one perception here. And there's a libertarian truth in the middle. But again, that's a philosophy. It's not a political ideology. And I've said it a couple of times now because that makes uh, libertarian politics no different or no better than Democrat or Republican. It's just another party out there, and people perceive how they view the world should be run their way. 
Because at the end of the day, it's easy to, to deliver utopian fantasy, which everybody has, a conservative, uh, a libertarian, and a Democrat. You know, the libertarian's perfect uh, utopian fantasy is government rules us all benevolently. You know, conservatism is we're all working hard, we have faith in God, and libertarianism is leave me the fuck alone, is pretty much what it boils down to. You know, excuse my French, but I said it like that purposely because that's kind of what I've gotten. Nobody has ever said it to me in that tone. Nobody has ever said like this. No, but by the time you're through talking to them, they could be the nicest guy. But that's kind of the tone of their mentality with that belief. Now, Big John, I just took a good chunk of uh, time. Uh, the reason I wanted to talk to you is there's a couple issues to talk about. But what are your initial thoughts in the difference or is there any difference in libertarian philosophy versus libertarian politics oh there's a big difference and i think much like in in say democrat and republican circles you have the same thing it's just that in terms of democrats and republicans it's much more finely refined let me give you an example reagan for example when he, in his heyday came out and said What's the 11th commandment? Thou shalt not speak ill of any other Republican, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's about, yeah. You're right. It's a noble comment, but it's a re as realistic as, uh, I don't know. No, no, but I'm saying he yeah. said that. And back when he was running and when he was in office, it was pretty much he kind of enforced it, right? Yeah, yeah. For a few years, you're right. Yeah. You're right. He but, but who was the philosophical drivers of the Reagan revolution? It was oh. William F. Buckley. It was, oh, Milton, gotcha. it was William, Milton Friedman, right? So you yeah. had guys like that who were like, we'll provide the ideals. Now, you, acolytes, political operatives, go make it happen. And it's no different in the libertarian world. You have libertarian thinkers who, who would never, ever run for office, get involved in local politics, and things of that nature. And in my opinion, that's fine. Because you do need those North stars to remind you of what you're running for. Right, right. And for the audience, that's where part of our discussion is going to be because my issue is, hey, you don't want to get involved, stay the bleep out. And in today's day and age, that's kind of like an impossibility with social media, the internet, everybody has their two cents. Yeah. So, so I apologize, but go on. But that's going to be a thorn. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, folks who are watching your show right now, William, if they follow us on any social media platform, they might think that the sports grumbling, say Twitter feed or Gab feed is schizophrenic. Yeah, yeah, I think right? that and And there's a good reason for that, folks. Half those tweets are William's brainchild, half of them are mine or whatever the ratio works out to be. So and you can always tell the difference. Yeah. That tweet. Yours yeah. are very philosophical. Mine yeah. are very cutthroat. Yeah. <laughs> And and actually that that's the that's the crux of our you know listen folks if there's one thing you can take away from this show from this episode it's going to be how two people with different uh, political philosophies with different allegiances can hash things out and still be friends and still run a business together because William and I at the end of the day we understand we're talking. We're trying to hash things out. We're trying to figure things out. But you know, John, I think uh, you're right and you're wrong. I think you're wrong because we get along and we're going to leave this conversation uh, as we entered it. 
because we both have the same end goal. We just, as corny as it sounds, we just want what's best for humanity, for our fellow brothers, our kids, our family. And your vehicle is libertarianism. My vehicle is conservatism. And my point being is I just think it's that end goal that we both desire out of life, whether it's for your son or whether yeah. it's for my relatives or whatnot. It's, it's, I want to be treated as I would treat, or I want, I want people to treat me as I would treat them, you know? And I think it's a similar philosophy. Well, you see, I'll uh, give you an example. You just stated the golden rule, treat others as you would like to be treated yourself, right? Yeah, you just stated the golden rule. I'm doing to you. Right. The libertarian version of the golden rule is treat others as they would like to be treated. Right. Because what I like isn't what you like. And the classic hacky joke about that is what if you're a masochist? Right? Yeah, I was going to say, I was an ex-sailor. And boy, did I run into different right. types of people. So if you're a masochist, if you apply your golden rule, if I'm a masochist, then I would go around punching people because oh. I would assume that's what they like. But that's but that's taking it literally. So for oh, example, of course, of course. Is more empathy, human nature. I, I got you. I got you. Yeah. But but yeah, but yeah. I, how many times do you get mad as a kid? Mm -hmm. Buddy would come up to greet you and he'd punch you in the arm. Oh no, I I got you. I got you. But but so it, I, I it, like that. <laughs> but it serves a purpose, you know, because right. it, and the purpose, even though it's a hack joke and it's a hack comparison, it, it shows like the differences between conservatism and libertarianism. And a lot of people, and honestly, I don't know where this perception came from. A lot of people think that if it weren't for the Libertarian Party, for example, all libertarians would be Republicans. Yeah, yeah. You know, I grew up kind of thinking that, but I think because at the end of the day, progressives tend to go more eventually it always happens they tend to end up the socialists the communists and i think that differs so far from libertarian it's not that you guys align with conservatives as much as if you had to pick two sides outside open open borders i could i would see more libertarians shifting to the republican side versus the democrat side but as i've learned from you there's a lot of leftists out there and the open border ones was really one that caught my eye because it made me start to think that you're in the minority Minority as somebody who doesn't believe in open borders in the libertarian side. That's the impression I get, you know? No. Yeah, I know. I know you might think that it's just who's any. So like, for example, let me give you my own story and you'll see what I mean. I was not always a libertarian. As a young man, I was a conservative. As a young man growing up in New York. Uh, and if you watch my interview show with a lot of libertarians, I, I fully admit to this. I came to libertarianism from the right. Um, I was a conservative. I was a big William uh, F. Buckley fan. I was a big... Um, you were a fundamental conservative. <laughs> well, I, I love... So if you haven't noticed, I gravitate more to the philosophical and the intellectual. I don't gravitate to the down and dirty political like fisticuffs type of thing. That's not my thing. I I never I never ran for like student president, student body president, or treasurer or any of that. Past president in college. Yeah, see, I never I never ever had any interest in that. What I did have interest in was shaping people's opinions and shaping people's beliefs. So someone like a William F. Buckley, uh, who actually did run for mayor of New York, I think in 1960. He quickly realized it wasn't his shtick. Well, he, he actually won a nice chunk of the vote for a third party candidate. But regardless, Buckley to me was the great example of an intellectual. He, he started National Review. He was a former CIA operative. He wrote several uh, fiction books. To me, he was guy. 
And honestly, I got the opportunity to meet him. I got the opportunity to correspond with him. One day I'll show you. I've got letters that I've saved from uh, 30 we years ago. Online. We, 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 yeah. we should scan them and post them online. Yeah. You people yeah. out there, uh, correct me because you knew him. Yeah. Uh, but he sounds like a larger than life figure. He sounds like uh, you, you'd make a movie about him. You know, oh, absolutely. He was Bond, an you know? And he was a little bit eccentric in the sense that he had his quirks about him, like his accent that a lot of people assumed is a Tony accent is really a mix of New England, Mexican, because I think he was a native speak, uh, Hispanic speaker. I'm not 100% sure, but I think, you know, he had that in his background. But when you, you read things about him, like uh, every morning he had the same thing for breakfast, cashew butter on toast. And, oh, wow. you know, and he only... You could always find him at his favorite uh, Italian restaurant in New York, near the offices of National Review. It used to be, it's not there anymore, but it was Nicola Paone's. It used to be like, you could find him there, every, like every Wednesday, I think, or something like that. He was a creature of habit. He was very eccentric, but he was brilliant. And he could challenge you in a lot of ways. He had streaks of libertarianism in him, but I wouldn't call him a libertarian. Um, right, 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 right. And, but he wasn't the only one, though. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another guy I look, I thought was very much uh, a true conservative slash libertarian back when the, when the term libertarian didn't exist was Barry Goldwater. Um, well, well, hold uh, on, hold on. When did the term libertarian start to come into? I assume it's been around since uh, for a couple hundred years, or as long as the party has. Well, the party started in 1972. So in 1972, it was formed by David Nolan as as a political party. Prior to that, what we now call a libertarian was actually called the liberal. Oh yeah, the classical liberal. Well, we call them classical liberals now to distinguish yeah, them now. from the liberal socialists right now. Right. But for example, when Milton Friedman was going to Rutgers University as an undergraduate, uh, if you believed what libertarians believe, meaning individuals over the state, things like that, um, you were considered a liberal, a libertine. That was, you that's Hold what on. you were called. Libertine, that's something sailors aspire to. Right, right, right. It sounds like you're, you have a different meaning there. Well, it, it's sort of the same. It just meant that you believed in individuals, you believed in your own autonomy and, and, and volunteerism. That was something that really was always in the liberal tradition. Um, uh, yeah, I've heard it that way, but why am I thinking a dark person who just parties, does drugs, all that? Uh, well, I you're thinking of a libertine the way it's usually portrayed in the movies, gotcha. uh, which is, okay. you know, okay. like uh, Dangerous Liaisons, for example, was a movie where they were all libertines. John Malkovich and a young, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, what's yeah. her I name? Um, my standard days. We were all yeah, libertines. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, 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 so you went from Buckley, who you actually had correspondence with, to... Uh, 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 Goldwater. Goldwater, John, explain to us because even I always forget because it's so long ago. Goldwater's a conservative. Goldwater's extremely famous for 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 two things: uh, one, running for president and getting shellacked, but also being one of the very few politicians who was a regular in Dean Martin's comedy roast. Well, yeah, yeah, he seemed to have he he used to um, he used to be able to laugh at himself, which yeah, I thought exactly, was a very exactly. good quality. So, but he was also actually the thing he's most famous for probably is you probably know his quote and you may not know it was him. He was the one who at the 1964 convention said extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice moderation in the pursuit of justice, no virtue. 
That was his line uh, that he delivered. Now, the problem with Goldwater was he had not the problem, but he was he had libertarian streaks. For example, he was the first one who said, I don't let gays in the military. And he was a former Air Force Reserve general, two star general. So when he said it, it came from us with a sense of gravitas. I don't care if another famous quote, I don't care if they are straight as long as they can shoot straight. That was that one of his quotes. He also was pro-abortion. He thought it was nobody's business but the woman's. These were very anti-conservative Republican views, but in the sense of a true conservative who looked at limited government, those were in line with that concept. Right. No, John, you're, I mean, I struggle with that. As you know, I ran for office. I got elected locally and, and I was once a future rising star very, very briefly in the local party here. But, uh, you know, I thought of running for office and that everybody says, well, a friend of mine says, so what do you do when you run for office? How the hell do you get past the uh, pro-choice, pro-life? I go, because I'm pro-life, but fundamentals will say I'm not pro-life because even though I want that baby to live, to survive, the mother to know every single option, my belief is that's her decision with her family, right. her priest. The only thing I would always interject in is I do believe the father should have a voice and society has completely excluded the father's mm-hmm. voice. From, from from that process. Yeah. And listen, so I um, get that. And back yeah. then, John, you're talking the early 60s. I would imagine that was uh, that should have been a death knell for him politically, shouldn't it? Well, it, it, I don't think he was espousing that in the 60s, but certainly when he made his comeback and got uh, elected senator of Arizona again, um, he was definitely gotcha. espousing it in the early 70s, uh, throughout the 70s and 80s. And don't forget, he was basically the chairman of the Armed Services Committee throughout his tenure. So he held a very important position. Also, Goldwater, much like, say, Justin Amash, uh, 30, 40 years later, stood on principle. He was the first one who went to Nixon and said, if you don't resign, I'll make sure you get impeached. And he went and he said that to his own president, the president from his own party. And supposedly Nixon was going to go fight down fighting. But when he walked in the room and he and he said Goldwater was waiting for him, saying, "Mr. President, <laughs> stop lying." Blah 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 blah. And you know what pissed off Goldwater was the way Nixon hung Spiro Agnew out to dry. Right, so, right, right. Wasn't it pretty much they went in and said, "Look, you don't have the votes." There wasn't even an argument. You don't have the votes. Well, uh, I think Nixon was quoted as saying at one point, "He goes, once I lost Goldwater, I knew it was over." Yeah. And then that was it. So, so I applaud him on that. He, he put principle over party. Uh, So those were two guys that I look forward to. And then obviously Ronald Reagan, Um, Ronald Reagan, who was the product of Barry Goldwater's disastrous campaign. So people forget that Uh, Barry Goldwater lost 49 States to Lyndon B. Johnson in 1964. Now there's a good reason for that. It wasn't that people hated Goldwater. It was that Kennedy had just been assassinated. And Goldwater himself said, no one's voting for me. Nobody wants three presidents in one year. Nobody. That's right. That's right. Nobody. I, mean, I don't remember that, but I remember it was yeah. assassination that kind of derailed it from, I mean, it was doomed from the start. Yeah. Well, it wasn't doomed from the start because believe it or not, people don't well, realize well, I'm this. sorry. Doomed from the moment uh, Kennedy was assassinated. Yeah, right. People forget. Why was Kennedy in Dallas that day he got shot? Oh my God, you're right. I couldn't tell you that question. In fact, you know what? I, I've read that big old fat book on the conspiracy <laughs> in the papers, and I can't even remember why he was in Dallas, and that's the whole crux of it all. He was in Dallas specifically because his polls, his poll watchers told him, 
you're going to lose Texas, even with Lyndon B. Johnson. Mm. The, the Texans are starting to get behind Goldwater. You're going to lose Texas. Okay. Gotcha. And, and that would be an embarrassment on a national scale because his vice well, president yeah. was from Texas. So, so that's why he was in Dallas. So in some indirect way, Goldwater was responsible for Kennedy getting killed, I guess. But um, <laughs> He was in with the mob. Right. But people forget what happened was he went down in defeat and then the Republican Party basically coalesced around, hardened around Goldwater's conservative principles. And that's where Reagan got his well, That took a while, though. That didn't, took, take, that didn't take effect until the late 70s. It literally know? took 20 years. And yeah. that's why I tell people, when you start a movement, you got to wait 20 years. You can't get everything done. Look, and I give the Goldwater Reagan example. It's always been that example. So, um, but anyway, Reagan those himself when, had a long 20 plus year journey into becoming the conservative he became. I right. mean, uh, uh, and I think that's why, John, a lot of us relate to him because uh, I believe it is true that protection <laughs> and anecdotal life we need in the sense when we're young and dumb and we want to save the world. Right. You know, and then when we start paying our taxes, we become a bit more conservative, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and I think Reagan went, th went through that process politically. The thing about Reagan is, unlike Donald Trump, and I know you're not going to appreciate this, but Donald Trump switched from Democrat to Republican, and I couldn't tell you what which of his policies changed over it. And I'm not talking about you're like, right. I, I mean, I mean, actually, I do appreciate that. Why? Because it's the truth. Have yeah. I ever defended Trump in that sense? No. No, no. I'm and just his saying his actions and his results. You're right, President. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. But Reagan, at least, when he switched parties and, and became the governor of California as a Republican, he could quote chapter and verse of conservative theory. He could, well, you know. Uh, but, John, for the audience, what John is saying is there's nothing virtuoso about Trump. It's like he did it for political reasons. Meaning right. He did it just because no it was soul, the party. No heart, no empathy. Right. It was cold and calculating, and he is absolutely correct in, in, in that sense. Yeah, y'all knew John and I used to be aligned on Trump, but then John stopped looking at the actual results of his actions as president, and I did, and that's why I became a, a, a Trump fan. And I, honestly, John, I think that's the greatest and fairest way to look at life. I'm going to judge you by your results, you know, because to me, it's like any other way and uh, uh, you're not being truthful because 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 we have to be partial to a certain way we look at it versus the actual data. Well, it's 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 a couple of things. It's not that I disagree with you wholly on that, but let me give you some examples. Like, so for example, you might wonder if I started out at, and believe me, when I was into conservatism, I was into concern. I, I was a regular at CPAC in Washington. I met. Oh, uh, I was joking, but you were pretty much a fundamentalist conservative, weren't you? Pro yeah, not no fundamentalist. Drugs. Weren't you president of the Nancy Reagan Say No to Drugs Club? <laughs> uh, maybe, but here's the thing: when you say fundamentalist, uh, if you mean fundamentally conservative philosophy, yeah. yeah. Uh, yes, if you if there's any sort of religious tone to that, oh, no, then no, 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 to just a puritanical yeah. way, meaning. This, because in, in a sense, that's why I question my own conservative. I'm a conservative. Don't get me wrong. That's yeah. close to that I, I align to. But I, I question in the sense I'm not that round hole trying to fit into the the round right. square peg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, it's 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 I struggle with various aspects of it. But I think that's also good. People yeah. who fall in line, hook line, and seeker, I those are the ones that get me nervous. Well, it, and they should because they tend to be true fundamentalists, true, true radicals. 
Now, here's the thing. Um, and like, if I showed you some of my scrapbooks, I have pictures of me hanging out with Lee Atwater and, and discussing, if you remember oh, who Lee Atwater, Lee Atwater was. was, a bad human being. That was, was not a horrible a man. He was a horrible man. We found out later, but he was a yeah, very effective political strategist. Brilliant. He yeah. was, in fact, the reason George the H. Bush did not win a second term was because Lee Atwater had brain cancer and died yeah. in his campaign. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know? I mean, that's how brilliant he was. I mean, cause I believe had he run that, uh, Bush would have won because he mean, would. It would have been Clinton versus Clinton, the Godfather, and Lee Atwater. You mean uh, Papa Bush the second time around because yes. he got him elected against Dukakis? But well, I apologize. I, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. talking about Bush Senior. Yeah. So, so, but what back then? And I mean, I hung out with all of them, William. I hung out with Judge Bork after he, he got his nomination oh, rejected. Wow, and wow, I, got to, wow, I, I wow. sat at a table next to him for three hours and talked legal theory. And I don't know jack about legal theory, but hey, I, it hey, was hey. just so interesting talking to him, you know. Right. And for the audience, Judge Bork was a Supreme Court nominee that Ted Kennedy flat out lied about. That yes, him, uh, it was uh, a, it was a hatchet job. It was one of yeah, the first yeah, hatchet I mean, he jobs. Flat out that was a, that was that was when I began to question Democrats and and aligning our politics is no different than Panamanian politics. Yeah. yeah. And I'm being serious because I'm like, he's li even I knew as a kid, he's lying. I mean, that's just <laughs> and and then he, then there's a kid growing up in Panama. Uh, at, that, at that, you know, uh, I had dabbled in weed because you, you grow up with it. My whole other issue was like, it's just weed. You know, they're crucifying him over weed. Yeah. You know? Well, they crucify him about a lot of stuff. And it was, oh, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. It was a total that, hatchet job. That was job. a selling point to the public because everybody yeah. has to say no to drugs. Yeah, yeah. And it was Reagan who nominated him. And it was, yeah, and there was a lot, there was a lot involved in that. There was a lot yeah. involved in but that. Anyway, but anyway, so, so, so I, I turned away from but, puritanical. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and in the late 80s, uh, during Reagan's second term, it really started to hit me that though the philosophy sounded good, the implementation of it allowed for too much that I didn't enjoy. For example, conservatism, you mean conservatism, right? right? Yeah. So, for example, I didn't like how they recruited religious types in, into their Reagan's big tent. Now, Right, right. I'm not talking about the political advantages of that those are very clear and they're very obvious for Republicans to this You're day. Talking philosophical. I'm talking philosophically. For example, Edwin Meese launched a war of pornography. Overall limitations on free speech. They went after um, pornographers, not even just for their pictures, but for the, the words they said, the famous Supreme Court case that thankfully there were enough conservative judges who didn't bow to the politics Scalia for example with Larry Flint the famous Larry Flint versus um uh the preacher of, of Falwell right um so and they protected free speech thank god uh, those guys had enough principles Scalia and, and the rest and that's what you'll always get with conservative justices that's why I tell people when you if you're a conservative and you're pissed off the conservative justice because it's probably followed the constitution yeah so I, and I mean but generally speaking the realization came on me, to me rather, that conservatives still wanted to tell people what to do and how to think. And the biggest thing for me was the free speech issue. See, now kids today will say, well, the ones who are against free speech right now are the leftists, right? Right. Maybe. But when we were coming up, William, it was the conservatives. You are correct. John, you're correct. It was conservatives when we were kids, but there is no maybe. It's leftist today. Yeah, it, it's largely is coming from the left. Absolutely. Yeah. So that, that's a product of power, John. 
whoever is in power. See, this is what I tell people in life. To know who's in power, look how the subtext goes. And in this case, it's the leftists who want to control because they control the media, because they control the press. Back in the 80s, uh, uh, before actually Reagan is a product of today's press, because he's the one who opened up that law uh, uh, that kind of had to give equal treatment to both parties. But back then, it was conservatives who controlled the media to not literally control. They control the way we thought, the way we saw things is what I'm trying to say. And and and, and I can't think of how they do it. You would naturally think the media, uh, but they never controlled the media, but they were able to get their message out. And, and, and that's what I assume you're talking about in which you started to digress. Yeah, no, I was saying that that's what hit me was that it was really the, the, the it just, their, their approach towards free speech really hit me hard. Because I'm a free speech yeah. as, as, absolutist. Was it the, their approach of free speech or the fact, uh, what I'm saying is it's two different topics. They're both related and they both align and common sense dictates, well, one can't react without the other. But I never thought they were looking at it as free speech. I thought they were looking at it from that puritanical mindset. This is God's way. Well, no, no, you, this. to me, it didn't have anything to do with free speech as much. We got to do what God's will is. You, you might be right, but it was also the flag burning cases that conservatives were like, it should be a crime to burn a flag. And this well, and I think that. it should be too, but it's not. So it, I'm like, yeah, and, and it I, should I, be. I serve right. so you can burn it, but I right. do believe it should be a crime. <laughs> right. So, and, and now you're seeing how these events that I mentioned all kind of conspire, right? So let's assume that it was a puritanical approach instead of a free speech approach. Well, why did they have to take that puritanical approach? Because they had to cultivate the religious right. They had to cultivate right. the so-called silent majority. So now yeah. you've got these things. Reagan initially had didn't care about abortion as an issue. He had to adopt it to, to take care of the Southern Baptists, the born agains, and things like that, and the and and the religious uh, folks. So so you started to see this in the in the in the eighties around the Reagan coalition, the blue dog Democrats, the Democrat, the conservative Democrats that don't exist anymore for the most part. And I'm talking about guys like Sam Nunn from Georgia, uh, Joe Lieberman from Connecticut. Uh, these were Democrats that by today's standards would oh, be considered Republicans. Democrats. The blue collar, the blue, the blue dog yeah. Democrats. Yeah, so, and for the audience, those are uh, 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 where their philosophical beliefs is different from the conservatives, but they're so similar in terms of they want the exact same goal, you know, versus today where we have completely different ideologies within the two parties. Back right. then, it was the ideology was different, but the end result goal was always the same. Right. Creating so, a better America. So when you when I started looking at that, I slowly said, I'm not a conservative anymore because I don't believe in what they're saying. Um, what year was this then? I mean, how old were you approximately? Uh, I might have been 25, 26, 27. So still those formulated years. Yeah, it was after college, after I'd been in the workplace for a little while. Um, so, and I grew up on Wall Street professionally. So believe me, if there's ever been a libertarian environment, it's Wall Street. Uh, it's pure capitalism, uh, especially if you work the uh, commodities pit. <laughs> there's no rules other than make money. That's it. Uh, and, and, and that's all there is to it. So, One day you have to explain that because when I see it in movies and just see a bunch of people with their hands up holding something, they're all screaming at the same time. Uh, to this day, I'm like, what the bleep are they doing? I mean, what's happening? Yeah. Well, it doesn't happen that way as much anymore because of computers. But yeah, you're right. And I, I can tell you stories about that, but I don't want to get too off topic. So that started to put ideas in my head. And then I have to admit, how did I become a libertarian? And I became first a 
philosophical libertarian without any initial um, understanding of the politics of it. But, <laughs> You're still a philosophical. Well, I'm, and I still am, absolutely. And I, and I don't make excuses for that. But like Milton Friedman, I had heard about him being an economic advisor to Reagan. Then I started reading things about how he was disappointed with Reagan in some ways. For example, the fact that Reagan did not stop the deficit spending in his second term by the Republicans in 1986 when they took over the Senate. Milton Friedman was super pissed at Reagan for that. And I'm like, well, why is he pissed at Reagan there? Let me read about it. For those that don't know, Milton Friedman was a libertarian. So Milton Friedman described himself as a a small L libertarian, meaning he was a philosophical libertarian, and a big R Republican, meaning he voted Republican. So he's the first one who, who William, you may have liked because he was a libertarian philosopher, but practically he voted Republican most of the time. But see, I see that's just it, John. I don't care about that. I care what I heard him say. See, and, and that's what people confuse all the time. Well, I don't give a freaking rat's bleep uh, uh, about this or that in terms of, of of your foundation. Sure, that's interesting conversation and, and good stuff to learn. But it's what you just said, Milton, on the Phil Donahue that I, as a 12-year-old kid or whatever, 10-year-old, however old I was, I have never forgotten. Why? Because it's it's... It sounds stupid, John, but I never forgot because it forgot it because it's common sense in everything right. he said. Well, that's why I tell people if you and I've had this discussion with you know, I've interviewed a couple of different libertarians, Larry Sharp, Spike Cohen, I've had libertarian professors, I've had libertarian lawyers, I've had anarchist moms. And on my show, I asked them, like, I'll always ask them, what was one of the first things that turned you on to libertarianism? And I got to tell you, William, the common answer from everybody, no matter what type of libertarian they are, is Milton Friedman on the Donahue show in 1979. Everyone you know, points to that. I, I stand corrected. Had I had a mentor or a friend, a libertarian, I could have been completely swayed. But, you know, even when, I mean, that was 12, even at 20, I didn't know what a conservative was because I'd never heard that term either. Mm. So uh, I thought I was a Republican, you know, and that's a story for another day. But the point is, is uh, uh, where did you get your influence per se? It was Buckley directly to be a conservative, but what, what it's like you, you ask your guess. Well, what specifically happened at work, Wall Street, at home, or whatever, where you finally actually remember, oh my God, I, I may be a libertarian, or is that a libertarian thought where you realize the tipping point? What story is that? The tipping point was me coming to the realization in my own head that voting against someone never leads to good results. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's how people vote. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, my whole life. Uh, you I, I asked what you asked what tipped me to the thing, right? So it was that. But, but what happened? We want to hear the story. It's it's like were you at the voting booth and what? I mean, what no. happened? What 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 happened was one day I was having a debate with a conservative, mm -hmm. and he kept saying to me. Um, like most conservatives do, like, and I saw it again in this last cycle, we got to vote for Trump because Biden is the worst president in his uh, worst candidate in history. That was four <laughs> years after we got to vote for Trump because Clinton is the worst candidate in history, which was four years after twice saying 
we got to vote for Romney or we got to vote for McCain because Obama is the worst candidate in history. And, and they were right on all of them. And it <laughs> the constantly perception. Yeah. And it comes into my head. And, and so there was one point where someone said, we have to vote for Bush because Clinton is the worst candidate in history. And I remember sitting there saying, I've heard that before. And guess what? In my mind, as I look at what I hold dear, which was economic freedom, um, personal freedom, freedom of speech, the I noticed that the, the goalposts kept moving. <laughs> what used to even be called a conservative back in my day would be a moderate. What used to be called a moderate is now a socialist. What used to be called a socialist is now like <laughs> a complete... Um, you know, crazy uh, rioting person. Right, right. <laughs> How many times do we hear this person today would be seen as a far right or far right. left right person? And so I came to the realization, I came to the realization that that was the result of millions of people voting against someone rather than for someone. And that realization came to me with when the Mitt Romney, so I had stopped voting with McCain Obama. Because I looked at McCain and I said, I don't want him. I looked at Obama and said, I certainly don't want him. So I didn't vote that that cycle. Then when I got to um, Romney and um, Obama, I said to myself, you know what? Neither I, I There's got to be a something else. E on principle alone, I got to vote for someone. And that's when I found out about Gary Johnson. Well, okay, so so that was then, but wasn't there? I mean, you were closer to age, and the reason uh, uh, I would imagine it had to have been a race sooner than that. I mean, because I I never voted against anybody until Bo until Dole uh, Clinton. You know, I voted for Bush because I thought it was Reagan, uh, but Bush <laughs> first opened my eyes as to how quickly politics can turn. Because 18 months earlier, he had some of the highest approval ratings in the yeah. history of the presidency. And 18 months later, all I could remember was, uh, read my lips, no more, or no new taxes. No new taxes, later. yeah. Yeah, and uh, that was the first time uh, 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 I didn't want Clinton, uh, uh, but I didn't care for, for Bush. And it just got worse then, and Romney was the person who now I, if you're not a conservative with my values, uh, I will 90% of the time uh, just leave it blank. The reason I say 90% is because on principle, Big John is right. The lesser of two evils never brings anything good, but that's in the utopian fantasy. The reality of it is, you know, it's, it's kind of like, it's a terrible comparison, but, but it's like, okay, the terrible two evils, who would you rather have, Hitler or Mussolini? It's, it's like your choices are terrible, you know? Uh, but are you really going to pick Hitler, you know? Uh, well, and, I, and I think that, listen, I understand why people do that. Um, and listen, I've had arguments with family members over this. Yeah, but you shouldn't, though, John. I no, no, by arguments, I mean yeah. I'm trying to, you know, like say, not where I don't talk to people. I mean, oh, just, no, no, I I've had these conversations where it's like, okay, I, and I, I remember this very clearly during uh, Clinton-Trump. We got to vote for Trump because Clinton's the worst. Okay, so you're voting for someone who has no political experience, which, by the way, when Obama did that, 
you said that disqualifies him because he was only a senator for a year and a half. But Trump is the head. But, I, but, but not you, me. not you. I was yeah, talking yeah, the person yeah, I was yeah. talking to. They both say it. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's so like I said, boom. Right. Yeah. Now, anyway, so I said, do me a favor, vote for Trump. But please remember that we had this conversation because four years from now, you're going to tell me that whoever the Democrats put up are going to be the worst candidate in history again. Kind and of. I told him, I said, write it down somewhere because <laughs> we're going to talk about this again. Uh, see, come, I would write it down. Yeah. <laughs> come this cycle, the same guy who you're voting for. Trump. Why? Now, unlike you, he couldn't tell me one thing he thought Trump did right. All he could tell me was how much Biden sucked. Well, that, well that's our politics, though. I'm sorry. No, I, I get it, right? Yeah, but to right. me, that's why I avoid the political as much as possible. Because, oh, right, 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 right. No, that makes sense. From, from you understand what I'm saying? You know, like, I, I do. But, John, we're going to be talking politics. You're not sure, avoiding let's this talk politics. are you? I, yeah. No, no, no. When you, when you tweet on Twitter, you're not avoiding politics. My point being, again, I, I, I agree with you and what you're saying, but you don't practice it. I'm not dogging you. I'm saying yeah. it's that human nature. You got to respond to that tweet every so often you see it. Well, yeah? but or, if or somebody says something, you have to say it. So what I'm saying is human nature will always get right, the best. Right, right. And, and listen, and listen. I, when I usually reply on Twitter, it's very, <laughs> it's very rarely, very rarely um, to crap on someone. It's usually to crap on their ideas. Like, for example, oh, if, you, oh, okay, I got you. you see what I'm saying? Like, people, but you do it eloquently. Fair enough. But for example, what if you if you have the time and you're interested, check out my replies to Robert Reich, the former Secretary of Labor, because his what he posts is patent nonsense like it's for lies. example flat out lies he, like i said to my i said to him once you're either the dumbest man alive or you have no scruples whatsoever for example he defines inflation in terms of the the way he defines inflation which is profits of big companies um is the same thing as saying the cause of a flu is sneezing no sneezing and coughing are the results of the flu yeah. Not what gives you the flu, right? So it, that's just how bad our politics have become. You're right. So just flat out lie. Yeah. And that's yeah. why, listen, you want to know someone else who is a big, if you watch his stuff on YouTube, is to me very down to earth and can explain libertarianism is Penn Gillette, the magician, that oh, yeah, towering yeah, yeah, magician. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Listen to him that. talk about libertarianism, especially not so much now when we'll talk because of the infighting in the libertarian circles. But when, like, for example, the way he described government and when government should be allowed to use their coercive powers is amazing. He said, and I don't know if it's his idea, but he's the one I heard it from. But he and said, you agree with him, right? Yeah. He said, picture that the government is a person and that person is the only one you know that has a gun. <laughs> when would you allow that person to use a gun in your name? Right. If you're a good person, mm -hmm. if I saw someone getting attacked or raped, would I allow the person with the gun to use the gun to stop that action? Yes, I would. If I was someone who wanted to see a library built, would I use that person with the gun to steal money to build the library? I wouldn't. And yet when we say tax the rich to build a library. That's what we're doing. We're sending the government to use their guns 
to steal money from people to build a library. So the fact that you're building a library, as noble as that is, doesn't excuse the fact that you stole money under threat of violence by the government to build that library. And when you start to think of things like that in that way, because William, you no, and I mean, I that's both... a great point. It's a great yeah. point. Uh, uh, I just want to add to it. I think what makes our system so great is because technically we would vote if we would allow the taxation. So we, the people giving the money, would vote on it. I mean, that's not how politics really works. But 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 you're right. No gun, but let's take it to the people. Hey, y'all want to raise our taxes so we can build this church? That's the missing ingredient today. Yeah, but you see, this is, again, where conservatives and libertarians will split, right? You just stated something that sounds very fair and simple. But in reality, a libertarian would tell you, well, if all the people agreed to get their money together to build a library, why do you need the government? Right, right, right. And John, I would say to you, I agree with John. I'd rather live life his way. But that's utopian lunacy. That's a utopian fantasy. That's well, not how the history of civilization has worked since the dawn of time. I'm not saying this to be hurtful or, or argumentative. I, I'm, I'm saying that that's kind of how the world has worked. And, and folks, this is like what, what, what I mentioned earlier about these are the discussions we have when we're not on the air. And these are discussions that will go on till two in the morning over the phone with us. These are the types of discussions because <clears throat> I don't disagree with William either. There's the so, for example, there's a lot of flavors of libertarianism, right? There's um, classical well, liberal. about the Mises libertarianism? Because yeah, that's let one me, of the more popular ones. Sure, I'll, I'll, I'll throw that out there. So right now, the Libertarian Party, its leadership, and it was a thorough takeover when I say this. They took control of the National Party. Takeover. <clears throat> the majority of the state parties is uh, something called the Mises Caucus. Okay, Mises, sorry. Mises. Yeah. And Mises Caucus is named after Ludwig von Mises, who was an Austrian economist. A lot of people view him as one of the core economic founders of libertarian economic thinking. He was an Austrian economist. And if you don't know the difference between an Austrian economist and any other kind of economist, take 10 minutes to look it up on the internet. It's, it's, it's. But you know, John, hardly any of us do. But when somebody says Austrian economics, I think the master you right know, economic race you know it's it's like if for some reason in my head somebody says Austrian economic i'm like oh they're smart you know yeah, they're, they're smart but they're very dry all of them yeah, all of them they've got that very yeah. germanic uh terseness almost like spartans you know it's a very spartan language and it's a very spartan philosophy but it's it's actually probably in my opinion the most accurate of the economic models because they base their theories on what they've seen and on empirical proof None of this Keynesian nonsense, none of this Marxist bullshit. It's just, this is what happens. This is why you should not try to control economies, it's right? Basic. Common sense again. Yeah. So uh, so that's why the, uh, the Mises Caucus is named after Ludwig von Mises. However, I would argue that the Mises <laughs> Caucus real um, uh, heroes boil down to two main people. For the intellectuals in the Mises Caucus, it's actually Mises' student. Murray Rothbard, that they truly follow, because he was like an anarcho-capitalist. He was harsh. He was like, you know, like... Uh, okay, let's... real briefly, briefly, in, in 10 seconds, what is an anarcho-capitalist? Basically, they believe that uh, they, they love capitalism, but they don't think it should function under the auspices of the state. So, they're, so they're in essence, like... 
Capitalism with no government, a free for all business. Yeah, literally a mix of anarchists, no government yeah. at all, full volunteerism, and capitalism. They don't view capitalism as being bad. They view it as exactly. a necessary- exactly. They just you don't know. want government. Right, yeah, they don't want government. And they may have <clears throat> philosophical issues around uh, what it means to have private property, but they do believe in private property. Gotcha. Um, okay, and, so, um, and that's who you think today's Mises- Absolutely, without, without a doubt, and also in temperament. The second person and probably the most dominant person that if you if you ask 100 Mises guys, 98 will tell you that this is their hero, Ron Paul. Yeah. Uh, the the Republican congressman for, I don't know how many, 22 terms or something yeah, like that from terms. Texas. Yeah. Yeah. You know how many bills he actually got passed? Zero. One. Oh, one? Okay. I was going to say, he basically said, now listen, Ron Paul... I don't want to digress. We could talk Ron Paul yeah, yeah. for hours. The Mises caucus, though, those are their two heroes. Gotcha. Um, uh, even though it's named Mises, it's actually Mises' student, uh, Rothbard. And by the way, Mises had a ton of influential students. He really set forth, talk about the effect of a philosophical libertarian, uh, Friedrich Hayek, that most people, if you're into economics, know about. He's the guy who wrote the book, The Road to Serfdom. That's about to say, Friedrich yeah. Hayek, very familiar name. Yeah. And okay, then, but so, so John, though, the Mises caucus yeah. took control of leadership. Uh, okay, if you can answer that in two parts, because I'm really fascinated, yeah. I think the audience is too, with somebody just doesn't sprout overnight. Even Obama was a, yeah. was a Democrat made product. So where did the groundswell come for all of this to happen? Because the way you described it was, it was literally an overnight hostile takeover. It, it wasn't overnight, but maybe in political terms it was. <clears throat> the Mises caucus was founded in 2017. Oh, so, very recent. Very recent. And what they did is they were comprised of younger people, I would say. Oh, Their the membership is, is like the Ron Paul kids who were in college yeah. who had grown up, who had graduated. So when you look at those guys, and here's some prominent names you may or not heard of. Spike Cohen, the, uh, a man I've interviewed, member of the Beezy's Caucus. Uh, Dave Smith, the comedian who might be their presidential candidate in 2024. Uh, I hope not. <laughs> uh, Mises Caucus. Andrea McCardle, the, the LP national chair now. Mises Caucus. These uh, Tom Woods, who's a very popular libertarian podcaster. Mises Caucus. <clears throat> now, these guys said, listen, the old way of doing things ain't getting stuff done. And what we... This is within the libertarian circle. This is within the libertarian party. <clears throat> So the old we libertarian need, principles weren't getting the job done. Not the principles. Because, and here's the funny part. I'm sorry, the, the old libertarian methods. Political uh, methods. Yeah. They had problems with the political methods, which okay. I, I can almost agree with them on. So oh, I even, could, just looking at the results. Yeah. I mean, looking so at your results, you guys are nobodies. Still. So I'm, I'm not a Mises caucus guy. I'll, I'll state that up front. Um, but it's not their philosophical uh, origins that I like for the most part I would be an anarchist if I thought for a moment that the rest of the world would agree to be anarchist yeah but the fact that the rest of the world will in some cases can't even comprehend what anarchy is like when you tell most people what's anarchy they think of Somalian pirates right they, that's they what they think, think is anarchist think of, uh, they think of a, an image and uh, 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 just chaos just yeah, exactly. Thank you. Chaos. Yeah. It's just an image of humanity with just yeah. chaos. Yeah, so which is it's a which negative in it's, yeah. it's a negative image from the get-go. Right. So that alone kind of 
when I hear anarchy and libertarian, I don't think positive thoughts in the sense uh, of me. It's one of the few times the empathy in me comes out. It's like, oh, God, you're tying a, ne a, a perceived negative into a political movement. And it just hurts. And, and, and but I understand the frustration because the so, for example, when Gary Johnson ran for oh, president. Hold on, hold on. Is Justin Amash a. Uh... No, he's not. Okay. And I'll, I was just about to break into that, right? So oh, uh, no problem. Um, so Gary Johnson, that most of us have heard of because he was a two-term Republican governor of New Mexico. Your most famous libertarian. To run for office. I would agree with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the last five years. So yeah. And, and so he ran twice in 2012 and 2016. And Gary Johnson was what I consider myself, a classical liberal slash minarchist, which means... The only government we accept is the smallest possible government that can provide us with the basic functions of protecting the country, uh, providing a court system. The Constitution. And the Constitution, basically, right? Oh, damn, I learned something tonight. Right? I'm a minarchist. Right. We call ourselves minarchists or classical liberals, right? You know, it's funny because I, I, I can't tell you what the hell it is in conservatism that I am. It's just everybody has told me that. It seems what I see. Uh, again, I don't follow an ideology as much as I look at what's common right. sense and what's the right thing to do. But that's interesting. I'm a minarch minarchist. Minarchist, yeah. Minarch so, <laughs> right. And, and, and really, these are all names about classical liberalism. So Gary Johnson fit into that thing. And really... What killed Gary Johnson and what really set off the Mises people to form their own caucus was the politically correct, politically correct move that was the philosophical betrayal to libertarians. And, and that, was that was selecting William Weld as his oh, vice presidential yes. candidate. Yes, In for audience. I don't know squat about William Weld, but the very first moment John mentioned him was never in a good light. Never. William Weld was the Republican governor, and, I, and I'll even do this for you, Republican governor of rhino. Massachusetts. He was a rhino, yeah. Uh, and, and listen, I don't even care about Republican politics, but I would agree with you. He was a rhino more than anything. But here's the one thing he certainly wasn't, a libertarian. <laughs> but for but for whatever reason, he came in and Spike Cohen, who was the VP candidate for Joe, Joe Jorgensen uh, last presidential cycle, basically told me on my show, the reason he got in is he promised to raise $10 million for the Libertarian Party, which for the Libertarian Party was an unheard of sum of money. You know, John, when you told me that a few weeks ago, I brought it up to my wife and she goes... That's the guy you were talking about with Gary Johnson years ago, who was doing it for the money. Then it hit me. You're right. I remember reading some articles about that was the reason he was able to come in and, and right. be the candidate because it, it was a pure political calculating move. Right. I That's don't. He had no libertarian talking points. Like but when do you they asked him why it was done. I understand why it was done politically, but it it killed the minarchist movement in the libertarian party. Why? Because William Weld was so, he didn't even have the good sense to shut up. He he would talk and he would say stuff like, when they would ask him like, well, libertarians are against the drug war. How, what's your position? And he would say stupid shit like, oh, I'd hire a lot more police. How many libertarians, does any libertarian say hire more police? You know, John. Nobody. This, this merely shows, merely, is that how you say it? Merely shows. Yeah. Uh, I've always viewed the Democrats as 
at the PhD level of politics and how to train their people from, from the ground up. And then I view uh, the Republicans as freshmen in college, but hearing you, what I'm hearing is High school just kids. complete political novices here and yes. in, in, in their handlers. Because I don't care if it's Obama, Trump, whatever, they always have handlers and whether they listen to them or not, it's another story. But that situation sounds like he didn't even have any handlers. Well, if he did, he didn't listen to him. Um, and well, he was also part. older, multi-rich, super rich, and those are the type of people that, he, uh, unless it's a proven political handler, like if he has a Pat Riley of handlers, you know, uh, he, that was doomed to fail. You know, well, but, but John, I guess my question to you though is, yeah, I know why the move was made. It was purely political. Yeah. It had, see, and so, so what I'm hearing from you is uh, the ones who attacked the, the minarchists are the ones who use politically the philosophy of libertarianism to get their way in, in the long term. Because right. at the end of the day is what he did wasn't good or bad. It was a politically calculated move to try to become competitive. Yes or no? Well, it, it, so that was probably... And I'm guessing here that was probably Nicholas Sawark, who was the the prior LP national chairman prior to the Mises takeover. <clears throat> now, listen, in 2016, uh, even the Mises caucus guys say this, that if the vice presidential slot had gone to the guy who should have been vice president on that ticket, who was our friend, Larry Sharp. Okay, Larry Sharp. It, okay. it was supposed to be Gary and Larry. That was oh, the no, ticket, Gary and Larry. Gary and Larry. The Mises guys would have been happy, I think, with a Larry Sharp. And a Larry, a Gary and Larry ticket would have had broad appeal. Uh, Larry Sharp, for those that don't know, is African-American, but he's a very strong, um, practical guy. Um, he, has, like Tyson. He, has, he has practical ideas for how to run New York State. He's running for governor again. But what's uh, the problem with him? Nothing if, like, yeah, like yeah, I said, there's a big major problem. He has no money. Oh, he, he has no money, but yeah, yeah. He, politically speaking, he was he's a nobody. Right. John, one quick lesson for your audience that I find frustrating that yeah. I, I've never gotten in arguments. I just kind of shut up and walk away, is when I've been told over and over and over from Republicans, if you want to get into the races here, you got to be willing to put up a, a, a good chunk of your money. And my point isn't. The, but the issue isn't putting up the good chunk of the money. It's that's one of the criteria. And this is where the philosophy and my political uh, 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 knowledge kind of like conflict because I'm like, no, 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 no. If there's a good candidate, money shouldn't be the issue. And from what I'm hearing, and they disagree. Uh, and in your case, I'm looking at it and I'm actually agreeing with what they tell me. But you're disagreeing more on the fact that uh, uh, you, you don't think money should have been the issue. Uh, I, I don't think money should have been the issue. <clears throat> but even if I agree with that, it was the right move politically. The execution of it was horrible. In other words, if you wanted to bring in William Weld for his money uh, fundraising capabilities, fine. Guess what? Either get him to repeat the party plank or right. tell him to shut up. One or the other. And that's and, not even a political thing. That's like, hey, if you're whatever in life, you represent it, you speak that party line. Well, well, what was the final blow? He endorsed Hillary Clinton while he was part of the libertarian ticket. So, so the Mises guys saw this and went, this is nuts. We can't have any of this. They went ballistic. They went ballistic and they made it their goal to take over the party and replace it with aggressive messaging, better messaging, better politics. Now, 
<coughs> excuse me, I'm willing to give them credit, William. As much as I disagree with them, I'm willing to give them credit. They are clearly better organized than the minarchist faction, the classical liberal faction. Why? To your point, in four or five short years, they took over the party from zero. Okay? Second, uh, they are reinvigorating young people to come back into the party. That's two good things. Now, here's the negatives. They sound like children. So when you see a lot of this libertarian party stuff going on right now, and this is where the infighting comes in. And I'm, you know, like I've called it out on Twitter. I don't like it, but it is what it is. They are the ones who tweeted out the picture of Megan uh, McCain crying over her father's casket with the caption, happy holidays. The somber McCain casket. It was, it, it was a horrible bad, message. A horrible now, yeah. Now, as they scrambled to defend themselves, including Tom Woods, including uh, Dave Smith, including Andrea McCardle. And by the way, they doubled down on that messaging. Uh, and there was some other racist stuff that came out too, quite honestly, out of the, uh, and probably the biggest instigators are the New Hampshire uh, state libertarian that, party. That's because that's your most powerful party in the country. Probably. Yeah. In terms of the and, state and, and everything. I'm speculating. And I say that only because there's only one libertarian party I have ever heard on election night winning and those are those state senate those state uh assembly yes. state senate seats libertarian i don't know how many win but it seems every cycle there's a libertarian yeah yeah uh, and so, so, so it just kind of no. reads into your mind and i give them props for that but the problem is that they act like children they have the temperament of children and whether or not they feel now here's the sad part i agree with their their underlying philosophy like their philosophy of uh, freedom of association, of free, ultimate, complete free speech, economic capitalism to the hilt. Uh, no, as as little. I don't think they've adapted complete anarchism, but very small government. What you're saying is you agree with the message. You don't agree with how they're portraying or sending them. Honestly, message. I don't think they're drawing people in. Uh, I have to see. Like, well, we're going to see the membership numbers, but I could tell you right now. I know for a fact, a lot of the older guard like guys our age are leaving the libertarian party because they feel it doesn't represent them anymore. You know, now, John, one of your big wigs sent me a tweet when I, when I challenged him, he goes, it's grown in 10 years. You all peaked at 3.2% nationally. You're talking about Todd uh, Hagopian. Who's that's the, name, but uh, because of uh, you all peaked with 3.2%, I think uh, uh, because of Gary Johnson and his name recognition, Gary Johnson was not known as libertarian. Kerry Johnson was known as a Republican governor of New Mexico, a self-made entrepreneur. The libertarianism is something you discovered about him. Uh, now, locally, it could be a completely different story. I'm talking at the national level. Yeah. Uh, thus, he had name recognition, which is why he dominated and was able to run for president twice, because the true heart and soul, good and bad, seemed to be John McAfee with that libertarian party. I don't and know that he was the heart and soul of it. He was you know, so In terms of who fought and Dude, there was no libertarian louder than him in his heyday. There, he just became nuts. Well, you're you're talking uh, specifically about 2016. Look, they had. Yeah, yeah, but, but, but let me finish my point though. Yeah. If, the point being is Gary Johnson brought you recognition. You're trying to tell us that people are leaving, but there's really been no growth. If you pull that one year, because the next year you lost over a full point and a half of growth and dropped back down. I, to me, I look at growth one to three, one to three percent every X amount of years or generations. However, you figure the formula out. 
but in 10 years, it's 0.2%, 0.3%. Is there really growth, John, or is that yeah, more? Yeah, no, there, there's, you there's really growth. wish you, you had, but you don't No, there, there's, there's growth. It's just not at a very accelerated rate. It's There's growth. <laughs> so the, you're talking a technicality, brother. Well, there's the other thing, too. And this is where I would then push back to you about the philosophy and the politics, right? There's clear indication. So, for example... When Rasmussen or when um, Quin uh, uh, Quinnipiac polls go out and they ask people about opinions about individual subject matter, they don't, okay. tell, they don't tell them if it's Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Socialist. They just ask them, like, do you support this? Do you support that? But hold on. You are talking about the Facebook. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm talking about legitimate research. Firms. No, 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 no. But I'm saying you can boil it down to that as well, because. Well, I, it's a little more sophisticated, but <laughs> fair enough. But my point is, if you start asking people issues, mm -hmm. there is no bigger conglomeration around any principle other than libertarianism in this country. And it, it makes matter? sense. And it, well, it does. And I'll tell you why. It matters because. It's clearly two things that any third, not just libertarians, any third party struggles against. One is the, quote, wasted vote mentality. People say, well, I would vote here in New York. I would vote for Larry Sharp. But oh, guess what? Oh, it's a wasted vote. You're talking about voting questions. I thought you were talking about belief questions. No, but I'm saying the beliefs are there. Most Americans are libertarian leaning because that's the nature of Americans. Right? I disagree. I mean, in a utopian fantasy, yeah. Not in a utopian fantasy. Yeah, Listen. no, it is utopian. You know why? Because those questions are out of context, meaning they're just open air questions, meaning, you, you know, what do you think of this? Well, in the perfect world, that's what I think of it. No, they you ask know? them, <clears throat> they ask them stuff like, do you agree with raising taxes to provide these services? Do you think that we should be involved in the international affairs of other countries militarily? Do you think uh, there's a right oh, to an that, abortion. That's a great question. That, that's what. That's exactly what I'm referring to. So, so the the real question is, you know, it's a, it's like in context. Do you agree we should be involved in World War II or just let not, you know, or, or watch it all the world implode? Right. Versus, the, versus the, uh, you see what I'm talking about in context. I, I understand what you're saying, and still, still, most, if not all, libertarians, for example, would tell you they don't believe in war unless it's an act of self-defense. So World War, <clears throat> World War II, for example, was self-defense because we were attacked by the Japanese. Yeah. Now, whether that meant going into Europe or not is another story. Yeah. <clears throat> but you, you get my point. For example, Vietnam would not be anything libertarian-supported. Iraq would not be anything libertarian-supported. Afghanistan. Oh, I, agree with all that. I agree with all that. Right? So anyway, right. my point is, for most Americans, and Larry Sharp had a great quote, all American heroes are outlaws. And if you think about it, it's true. George Washington was an outlaw. Thomas Jefferson was an outlaw. Most cowboys so that we Jesse look up to. <laughs> right. Most most cowboys that so we look up John to. John Dillinger. Right. That's what we're trying to say. But when you have a hero, Americans, iconic heroes, they tend to be outlaws, people who buck yeah. the system. Rebels. 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 Fair enough. Mean. Rebels. And those are very much libertarian qualities. So when you look at that, then you say to yourself, well, most people have libertarian leanings or a large chunk of them. Why won't they vote for a libertarian? And it comes down to two reasons. One is the wasted vote theory. And the other one is the libertarian party is relatively new and they still haven't gotten their act together. Now, 
Will these Mises caucus guys be able to do that? Maybe. I don't know. I would just like to see them not abandon their principles that most people believe in. Because if you turn the Libertarian Party into Republican light or Democrat light, there's no point to exist. You And, and um, I also don't think that the days of influencing the two major parties from within, those are gone. Trump yeah, no, killed that for the Trump killed that for the Republicans. Sanders and AOC uh, killed yeah, that for the Democrats. Was killed before Trump. That got killed with Bush one or Bush. I'm sorry. No, Bush, but here's the thing. Bush two. Let me give you an example. When the Tea Party hit, right? Remember the Tea Party wave? Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that very explicitly. The Tea Party guys that are still in office were all libertarians. Uh, Justin Amash until recently, Thomas Massey. Uh, uh, who's the guy from Utah, Mike? Oh, yeah, uh, some of the ones that you're mentioning, but the both Mike, the, Mike Lee. I mean, right? there, there was a whole combination of libertarians and conservatives and frauds, flat out frauds. I understand. I understand that, but the ones who emerged out of that flash movement were the libertarians. They formed the Liberty Caucus in, in, right, in Congress. Right, right, right. right? Conservatives <clears throat> brought them the power. Right, and people thought we could steer the Republicans, just like Ron Paul tried to, and he never succeeded. To, to go more towards liberty. That failed miserably. And it and it was killed entirely by Trump. Trump killed it entirely. It was killed by the big machines in place. John, let me tell you this story real quick about what you, your issue with the Mises caucus, where I would say grow up from as a parent to a son. You just got to wait. In, in 20 years, you're going to go, oh, I knew what dad was talking about. Is as a kid. You mean the Mises up, guys should feel that way. Yeah, and yeah. you too, uh, because you're part of the anger as to why you, you would be leaving if you were one of those guys who was involved early on. Is I used to get angry at the Republican Party because as a former Democrat, I read Alinsky's book decades ago. I knew how to fight. I knew my job wasn't to debate you, John. My job was to literally try to destroy you, even as a kid. And I understood Democrats, we would fight until we completely thoroughly won. There is no second rematch. It's you're destroyed. And I get frustrated after I realized I wasn't a Democrat, I was a conservative, uh, how they wouldn't fight, how I got so sick and tired of eloquent this, how to speak, how to that, while while Bill Clinton was out there getting a blowjob from heaven in, in his greatest fantasy because he's in the Oval Office, you know, leading this life. And our guys are worried about how we are perceived. And my point being is America at the end of the day didn't care what Clinton was doing or, or, or how they perceived him. And we never got over that. And that's why Obama became the champion at, at his time was because the blacks were looking for a voice of a fighter. And that's why Trump, you know, the Mises caucus, they see that formula of, no, we're not going to debate. We're going to punch you in the face, period. I, that I, image I, of Meghan McCain, that's what that was. And the reason I bring it up and I bring it up in this tone is that's a reality check. You're not going to change that. That's human nature. That's emotion. Emotion is what drives the mob. And the Democrats had the market on that. And Mises is tired of it as the the the, the people who back Trump. Not the, and 
I'm being superficial because uh, there's always the economics of the time and jobs and, and cost of living and stuff like that. That's also pounding on the back. But your Mises people are like babies right now taking steps and they're going to make their mistakes. But what irks me is when I see a Justin Amash, not just Amash himself, but like, dude, you had eight years and you couldn't freaking uh, convince a single Republican pretty much to do uh, anything you want. But at the same time, you bragged about voting with Trump 80 percent of the time. You're still hating him. Yeah. My point being is you did not unify anybody. Let's see what the Mises caucus has to say, because what I see, John, is they're in the political fight. You're judging them as a philosopher. Now, you may um, say otherwise, but at the end of the day, that's how I No, see it's not true, because I already said I agree with most of their principles. Like, if I read through their planks... Okay, I apologize. Well, meaning the people who you're talking about. Yeah, right? I, I agree with most people. of what... Not my apologies. Like, like listen, um, Spike Cohen is, is, um, is a Mises caucus guy. Right. I agree with Spike Cohen on a lot... Of, when we talked, I was actually surprised to find out I agree with like 95% of what he says. And even he gave the inclination. It's a great interview. You can check it out on the big questions with Big John at sportsgrummies.com. Yeah. But I mean, he kind of gave, he actually may have said it, but it was easily the body language there that he doesn't agree with everything they've done, though, also. Right. He felt that it was counterproductive, not the message. Like the message in that Megan uh, McCain uh, tweet. I agree with McCain was a war hawk. He yeah, was a yeah. warmonger. I agree with that. I If someone said to me, like, should we have a, a national peace day in the name of McCain? I would laugh at that. But what, yeah, yeah, yeah. but what purpose did it serve to attack his grieving daughter? But that's my point is that's the type of thing where this is a lesson to be learned. Okay. Little harsh. We learn and we grow. I, I would agree with you if they were learning. <laughs> you guys have to go through that process. In fact, agreed. everybody does. The conservatives have to go through that process again. You know, I mean, to me, the perfect conservative party in my lifetime would be the Reagan coalition without the fundamentalism, meaning meaning uh, 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 more individual rights versus God's telling us how to live this yeah. way. You know, so so I and I don't have a, a, a what's that saying? A horse in this fight. A horse in this race, a horse in this race, a horse in this race. <laughs> that's what I see. And then I see the infighting. And that's when I'm like, I laugh because I'm like, dear God, I thought it was just conservatives who, who, who were just like, like six year old kids. But yeah. it's you guys in social media. It, it, it's kind of hard. Yeah. And it really, it honestly, it depends. I, I also think it's a generational thing. So for example, I'm a big fan of Larry Sharp. I'm a big fan of Justin Amash, very big fan of both those guys. Both of them came out and said, we disagree with not, again, not, they both welcomed the Mises caucus. Even though they're not Mises guys, they welcomed them in, right? But they said, you guys are not, a, we don't think you're doing this the right way. Now, yeah. what's interesting is <laughs> at the last uh, Libertarian National Convention, Justin Amash got up there and he's talking and he's saying, let me read some quotes to you from a book. And in it, it said, we should not strive for anarchy. We should strive for minarchy. And the crowd is booing because it's all Mises guys at the convention. Boo, get off the stage. You know, and it says, we should strive to unify on common belief. Boo, get off the stage. And he held up the book. You know who it was from? Uh, their guy. The Ludwig, Ludwig von Mises. Yeah, yeah, he's the one who wrote that stuff. Yeah. And the crowd fell silent. See, the one thing about Justin Amash, love him or hate him, he's super smart. 
And, and I don't doubt that. And that was a brilliant move. Yeah. But it just shows see what I'm hearing is, yeah, Libertarian Party, no different than the sheep John loves the mock. Yeah, the no, no. I, I, yeah. And I've said and I've said that. I've said but, that. But, but some of us don't call them rubes, do we? Oh, I, well, here's the difference. <laughs> in there my, is no difference. It, 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 There's just you justifying it. I, I was gonna say, in my defense, let me explain that uh that slur so, that I used so, to. Okay, John, I've allowed us to get the digress, uh, and I apologize. So getting back to Mises, they rule the roost now, but you haven't actually said what you uh, so I'm I apologize, you did say the, the VP candidate is what unified the Mises. But real quick, I don't want to go too much time on it, but how does it go from a quick movement into a few years? They take, in what, a year, 18 months, one to two years, and they took over the party. I mean, I have my own beliefs based on what I've seen from the yeah. Libertarian Party itself, but you're, you are a Libertarian. What allowed them to take over so quickly? They're young, full of energy and activists, and they understand the new media. And oh, they that's under a good point, yeah. And, yeah. and they understand, listen, at your urging, and it's your fault I did this, by the way, I actually attended my local Libertarian Party meeting for the first time uh, last week. It's the first and last time I'll ever do that. Um, it was just guys older than me, which means they were probably ancient, uh, sitting around complaining. And when I pointed out simple things like, hey, the links to your website don't work, Wow, John, that sounds horrible. I mean, I'll be honest, my Republican Party here in San Diego County is extremely, they're a well-oiled machine, even yeah. though they screw up half the time. It sounds really like, the. it, it sounds to me like a, a, a bad movie edition of what was uh, The Breakfast Club, you know? Yeah, no, <laughs> well, it, and, and William, it was bad because, not because I expected, you know, first of all, and you told me this is quite common so I, like it was a dozen people at the meeting so and you told me for small groups that's that's about what you yeah, would yeah, expect yeah, yeah. like i said ours is unique but for the most part especially in in areas yeah. where it's a small party a, a dozen people that's how that's how the nucleus starts yeah yeah and and but for example the co-chairman i believe or the vice chair of the party says yeah well i gotta run because i gotta go to an oath keepers meeting and i'm like wait a second well, tell tell the audience what the oath keepers are because I don't oh, know. Uh, an oath keep the oath keeper group basically, um, to cut to the quick, is a Trump backed group that supported him, especially on the, at the January sixth, whatever you want to call it, protest, oh, so insurrection, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I'm one of those people that says there are certain lines in the sand where you can't call yourself a libertarian anymore. If you if you're a warmonger, you can't be a, a libertarian. If you believe in taxation for redistribution of wealth, you can't be a libertarian. If you believe in a president who believes in ultimate presidential authority, believes in eminent domain, believes in tariffs, believes in this and that, whether you agree with it or not, I'm not judging that, but if you believe in that- You're saying this is one of your tenets of what makes you libertarian yeah, or not. You can't be a libertarian. Um, and, and that's fine. Go be a Republican. That's fine. But you can't be a libertarian. That's but all there is to it. Shows how uneducated. For example, I had no qualms saying I am an uneducated conservative. Meaning, if I had to point to conservative law, I I wouldn't tell you. I'm like I just live the life I live. Uh, but when you're, but in this situation, the fact that they're thinking libertarianism is one thing, when in reality it's not what they're thinking, that's problematic for any growth of any. Oh yeah. Yeah, and and William, I mean, for example, that's what to the fundamental. If you're yeah. a fundamentalist first, and you don't know what a conservative is, you're why our party struggles a lot of times. Yeah, 
And, and, like that's, and that's another problem with the Mises Caucus I was going to get into. One of the problems is that they're very enigmatic and they're very um, uh, charming in the sense that they attract people to them. So one guy at this meeting said, uh, and you know what, we should pass a resolution supporting the Mises Caucus and condemning the classical liberals of the party. And I said, why? Yeah. Uh, you know, like I didn't say I was or I wasn't. I just said, why? Give me your reasoning. If we're here to debate, let's debate. And they were all like, who's the new guy, you know? But um, so the guy says to me, because everything they say about him is lies. And I swear to you, William, again, without judging the content, but just to show you the difference, he sounded like a Trump supporter complaining about fake news. Whether it's true or not, it was yeah, the same. I get that. It was the but same words. Say, William, it was the exact same no, word. No, I would say to stick around and educate those people. because well, well, I did. I said to him, I said- No, well, no, no, you... no. I mean the long term, more than- No, I you... understand what you're saying. But I mean, I asked that guy, I said, did you see the tweet about Megan McCain's, uh, uh, the picture with Megan McCain crying over her father's funeral? And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. I literally shared my screen because it was a Zoom meeting. And I said, this is the one I'm talking about. And he goes, oh, that's horrible. Who did that? I, I go, <laughs> that was literally guy. the first tweet the Mises caucus out of New Hampshire sent, right? And that's and, my whole point. Educate them. Stick around. Educate yeah, I don't, have the, I don't have the patience for it. I'll try, you, but I don't have the patience for it. You enjoy these type of talks. When I, if, I was, if I was in that group, I'd go, John, you can come in every meeting and, and ask to uh, look at the agenda, ask if they can put this on there where you discuss this topic. But you see, you but you see, here's the thing, William. Right now. You I, well, here's the thing, William. And this is part of my other complaint about the Mises, which, by the way, it's a complaint that I've heard not Larry Sharp make, but Justin Amash make, is they're very open to, to accepting disaffected ultra-right-wing conservatives. Now, for those that don't understand why that's a problem, let me explain something. When someone says to me, what are libertarians? Or someone says that to a generally to a libertarian, what's the common answer you hear? We're fiscally conservative and we're socially liberal. I hate that description because it paints us in the terms of Republicans and Democrats. We're neither. We're not fiscally conservative. We believe in free markets. We believe in capitalism. So you're that's saying what we believe one, in. There's one worldview of libertarianism and that's how JTG sees it. I'm being serious here. No, that's it's, how, it's, that's it's how libertarians, but you're judging the world based on how you present. I'm not no, saying it's right or wrong. No, what no. Saying. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is if you're going to describe yourself, forget whether it's right or wrong. I'm saying if I describe myself in your terms, William, uh -huh. I've already lost the fight as far as I'm concerned. Oh, gotcha, both gotcha, intellectually gotcha. and politically, right? Yeah, I, for example, I, I, yeah, if someone walks yeah. up to you and, and you said to me, for example, hey, John, uh, what kind of football player are you? And I go, you know what? I'm another Gail Sayers or I'm another Larry Zonka. You'd be like, well, why don't I just go get Larry Zonka then? Right? Because he's old, fat, white, and gay. <laughs> well, you, so am I. I'm old, white, and fat too. But my point is, why would you, why would you paint yourself in your opponent's terms? Yeah, Libert job, libertarian should say what's what what, what describe li yeah. libertarian for me i i trust people more than i trust the government see to well, me John, that's a that's a great sentence you do have a big problem that's what they're saying and they're supposed to be libertarians you know i, I can't argue that my point actually is no libertarian you know who said it last that annoyed me even though i liked him was gary johnson <laughs> uh, but see, Gary Johnson, that, that's that's my whole point gary johnson lived this professional political life as a republican he did you know, so 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 okay so 
Dave Smith is an up and comer right now in this party. Very, uh, very it's much. It's a little so. ironic. I don't know if ironic by definition is the right word, uh, maybe perplexing or that, because realistically speaking, it doesn't matter that he's a comedian. Perception is reality, not truth. Yeah. And with 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 his whole background, anything and everything will be taken out of context if he would ever pose a serious challenge at any level, you know. But that said, he's an extremely bright individual. You Absolutely. can see it when he talks. You can see it as, as his, his wheels are churning when, yep. when he's there. But he also shows political immaturity yes. in the sense of how he words certain things. It's like, I get what you're saying, but you're not saying it right, or they're going to take it this way. And I'm into that a lot because being Latino, it's terrible to say, but there's a certain way Blacks, Latinos, different cultures talk to one another and how we interpret, how we hear things. So, and it, but when you expand on it, that's just human nature. Every person delivers a message in their own certain way. Uh, so I see him as a bright mind. And here's the kicker, John. Nobody knows who Spike Cohen is. Nobody knows who Larry Sharp is. But more people in the libertarian circles will know Dave Smith because of his comedic background. He's an entertainer, and that's like a it's 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 like the actor who went for president, you know, or the, or or the, or hell, Trump, you know, that TV person. People say, what made Trump different? He was already a pop culture name, whether you like him or not. We everybody knew Trump had that name recognition. Yeah. <laughs> Dave Smith has that within the comedic circles, and it seems to me at this moment, a lot of the power of libertarianism seems to be coming out of New York City. Maybe it's because I only really follow a lot of the comedian circuit of libertarians or whatnot, but I had never heard of Spike Cohen until you mentioned him to me. I had never heard of Larry Sharp uh, until you reminded me. I'm like, oh, okay, I do remember him now. You know, So does it make sense what I'm saying? The reason I'm pointing to Dave Smith is he seems to gain the most traction out of your libertarian leaders right now. Right, well, He seems to be getting more traction because he has traction with the dominant faction that also happens to be the best at messaging in terms of getting the word out there. So, <clears throat> so right. So is he, like, I guarantee you, if you ask 10 Americans, 100 Americans who Dave Smith is, they wouldn't know. Oh, right, right. I, okay, I apologize. <laughs> One final point. Yeah. Uh, what I was going to say is, uh, a day Smith's new guard, Amash, Johnson, Sharp, Cohen, uh, and maybe not Cohen so much. He's kind of like the tweener, but the ones I just mentioned are the old guard. But it doesn't yeah. seem like they hate each other. It just seems there's a different mentality. No, no. <clears throat> Justin Amash and Larry Sharp went out of their way to say, we welcome the Mises Caucus leadership. So when they took over this past summer, those old guard guys, and to, to his credit, when Mises Caucus acolytes started crapping on Amash and Larry Sharp, Dave Smith defended them. And he said, listen, you may disagree with them, but those guys never, ever raised the finger to prevent oh, us right. from I taking over. Yeah. Yeah, right. So to give Dave bad. Smith credit, he's the first to admit that. Well, that's what I'm saying. He's a very smart individual. He's not dumb. He when he trips on his words and says <laughs> something wrong, it's you, you know, it because I'm watching them on YouTube or something. Yeah. It, it, it's in the moment type thing. Where he's not thinking ahead, he's just well. He's talking. thinking. He's thinking as a comedian. <clears throat> like I, I can't tell you. Comedian. I think he's thinking with a bigger picture. Well, what? And, but doesn't know how to word it. What I mean by that is a comedian's response, like like a comedian's mentality on the stage, especially a stand-up comedian, which is what Dave Smith is. Their first response is, when I have the microphone, no one is taking over for me. No one's going to step on me. No one's going to talk over me. It's my mic. It's my time. 
Right, right. That makes sense. Excuse me. You see that even in his tweets. Like some of these other yes, old school libertarians sure would engage with him and he would let, like he would talk to them for one paragraph and the final thing would be go F yourself or Ooh. I don't have F and time for you. You know, like you would see these from Dave Smith, right? Okay. Like, and I'm saying to myself, if you want to run for president, even for the libertarian party, do you like, and it's not like it happened 20 years ago. It's happening in real time right now. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. I should add on to some of, some of his tweets uh, could have been worded uh, better too. And that's a problem with tweeting is it's right off the tip of your mind. Meaning you're saying it one way because you mean it that way, but you want to deliver it a different way. So it doesn't come out as harsh and Twitter kind of takes that away. So, okay. So, but he's the new guard and you have the old guard. So let's fast forward to present day today. The Mises caucus is running the ship. They're having, they don't have issues, but there's been disagreements with some of the elders. Uh, uh, and there's obviously a battle brewing, uh, not necessarily with the elders, but the elders acolytes, for lack of a better word, with the Mises people and their acolytes. It seems like, and Dave Smith, to me, seems to be caught a bit in the middle as a Mises guy, but understanding the importance of the elders in the past. Uh, I don't know if Dave Smith's that guy. I think Sp Spike Cohen is that guy. Spike well, I'll tell you now what I've seen of it. And I'm an outsider looking yeah. in. Dave Smith is the one riding the wave right now. No, he is. He is. But when yeah. you said, I don't think he respects the old guard at all, to be honest with you. I think he says the right things about them sometimes. Oh, that could be. That could be the yeah. case. That could be the case. Yeah. Uh, again, political. Uh, and, and if he does that, he, he he's taking that step from comedian right. to politics in a very savvy manner, but it's also common sense. Yeah. And, but it's also common sense for people who can think a few steps ahead and understand a big picture. So, so that's kind of like why I, I, I'm kind of intrigued by yeah. it. Well, it's a, I, I agree with you, but it's, it, this is what it comes down to. Here's the, the late, let me give you an example. The most recent spark to libertarian explosion, right? Uh, there was a candidate running for senator, a libertarian candidate running for senator in Arizona. His name was. That, that, that's uh, what I was going to bring up. Yeah, Mark, Mark, uh, Mark, Mark Victor. Uh, Mark Mark Victor. Victor. And he was running against someone in the Republican Party called, uh, whose name is Blake Masters. Now. Who um, has ties to Ron Paul, I read somewhere. Well, well, let's let's break it down, right? So right now, to be honest, the libertarian candidate is polling between one and a half, two and a half percent, somewhere in there. Gotcha. Real quick, John, uh, just so I don't confuse myself. Yeah. There's a libertarian running for senator or governor or something that's polling at 20 percent. We're not talking about Victor Mark, are we? No, no, no. He's polling between one and a half and two and a half percent for Senate in Arizona, gotcha. <laughs> which, by the way, that seat is hotly contested and will decide among one or two others whether the Republicans take over the Senate. The incumbent Democrat and this guy, Blake Masters, um, are, are essentially in a statistical dead heat. So this is one of those cases where the libertarian candidate can either affect an election or be a kingmaker of sorts by throwing his endorsement, right? Right. Now, this guy, Mark Victor, and the Libertarian Party, the current Mises caucus-led party, said, guess what? Now, Victor says he did it on his own, but... We all know better. He basically said, vote for Blake Masters. He pulled a William Weld. He said, vote for Blake Masters. Right. A, a lot of libertarians said, listen, to do this a week before the election is nuts. <laughs> Why well, would you wait till now? 
And it's not coincidence. Let me put it that way. In my yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Politics, it's that is not coincidental. Right. I agree with you. I agree with you. So the point was, okay, if he's dropping out, why is he endorsing the Republican? Why is the Mises caucus supporting that decision? Let me ask you a question here, John. Uh, is there a fallback candidate they could have supported? It's just yes or no. Is there a fallback libertarian? Don't vote for me. Vote for this libertarian. I I, I honestly don't know the answer to that. There isn't, <laughs> you know. So so, so I, I don't know because question, the question I'm going to bring back up down the road. So but but I wanted to bring it to your attention now. I I don't know if there was anybody who could have filled in for him. I don't know what state law would have allowed. My understanding is state law would have oh, been marked everything's locked down now right mark victor's name would have been on the ballot anyway yeah yeah right yeah okay so you're saying then uh, I, I apologize i'm confusing the crowd in essence i'm telling you what i'm thinking but what you're saying is in essence he shouldn't have told anybody the the to uh, vote for anybody that's not a libertarian right uh, he should have just kept his mouth himself. shut yeah, yeah he should have just kept his mouth shut i can buy that because it's a libertarian party exactly well the mises caucus decided that no he did the right thing and they're and they're defending that decision so a lot of guys like Justin Amash. Now, the thing about Justin Amash is you have to understand, even though he, he started out as a Tea Party Republican, he's been through the grind. He, he got elected several times. Now, granted, he had big money from the Republican uh, National Committee behind him. But the point is, he's been through the process. He's been through right, the right. grind. He understands the process, how it works, who, where the bodies are, uh, especially when they're hanging those bodies over your head. Right. And basically, the Mises Caucus attacked Justin Amash and Why attacked- did they, Oh, they attacked him because Justin Amash agrees kind of with what you're trying Exactly. About. And so did Larry Sharp, by the way. Right. Now, to me, both Amash and Sharp are two different kinds of libertarians. They both fall into the classical liberal slash minarchist right. camp, but they, they're very different. Larry Sharp is very much a New York libertarian, which means we're not getting rid of government. No New Yorker is going to vote for no government. Well, he's just pragmatic. I'm going to pragmatic. Right. Larry no, no. Is, <laughs> Larry is pragmatic, you know? Yeah. And, and by the way, I'm a New Yorker. I'm writing in Larry Sharp because he got screwed over by uh, Cuomo and he got his name kicked off the ballot like two I months before the election. In Jersey. Oh, no, no, no. You don't live in Jersey. No. Yeah. It's just I when I hear suburbs, I always assume Jersey. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I live in New York. But anyway, so. The Mises caucus turned now, they, again, Dave Smith defended them and said, you shouldn't be attacking these guys, even if they disagree with us, because they were very open to us and we need to show some unity. But the, the, the pushback from the rest of the Libertarian Party was very severe on this, William. So the question I have for you as a conservative, as a political, uh, experienced political guy, did you agree with the would you agree with the Mises caucus saying, you know what, we should vote for Blake Masters? By the way, I should also throw out Oh, I have, I'm glad you asked. Blake Masters, just to throw another quirk in there, was denied money by Mitch McConnell. He said, We're not spending any more money on Blake Masters. Why? Because he's a Trump guy. Trump right. endorsed him and Trump sent him money, or Trump's super PAC, MAGA Inc. or whatever. Right, right. Sent right, him right. the money. Right, right. So, so you've got that going too. He's not a, an establishment Republican. He's a Trump Republican. So now, right. and and you've got like the money guys in the Republican Party not supporting him. So Trump, Trump's super PAC had to step in. All right, all right, so, John. Real quick then. So uh, what's going on? What no, would you well, do? First of all, let, let's redefine a, a derogatory word here: the Trump Republican. What is a Trump Republican? Wait, wait. Why is it derogatory? 
Because when people usually say Trump Republican, especially from the rhino side, it's usually in a derogatory way. Of Trump, or the, I'm saying Trump Republican, it. meaning that he is a Trump endorsed right. candidate. Right. And that actually has nothing to do with anything. Because at the end of the day, what did Trump, uh, 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 Trump Republican give us? The lowest unemployment rate. No, Got no, but my, no, no. Hold my, on, hold on, no, no. I get your point. Yeah. But my point is, is I would wear that proudly. My issue would Fair be. Enough. My issue would be uh, Mitch McConnell's, you know, and, and what the bleep have you done? Kind of nothing except kind of enrich yourself. Now, I'm being facetious here, but getting back to your point is is uh, 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 they did it in a derogatory sense to hurt Blake Masters, his own party, you know? Uh, 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 so, but that has neither, that, that doesn't have much to do with your point. At the end of the day, the old guard is, if you put a gun to my head, it's the old guard that is correct. However, I will put a caveat on this. Fair enough. You guys came into, or, or the Mises caucus came into existence in 2017. The Libertarian Party, 1972, you said? Or 73? Yeah, 72. Y'all are babes in the woods. The Republican yes. Party is the party of Lincoln. It was created for a specific purpose, part of it being to help free the slaves. So there was a goal. Libertarian is freedom, which encompasses 10 zillion things. So whereas the Republican Party left the Whig Party and had a clear focal point, the Libertarian Party, liberty is a very big word and a very big umbrella. And then you're starting as a third party with two entrenched parties. Now you fast forward to a battle having taken place, literally a civil war, and there's a new king who feels it's good to be king based off their tweets and how they don't really care. And the reason I, I bring this up is he who rules calls the shots. Sure. They not only earn power, they took it. But I'm not defending them from that perspective. They're also a new kid on the block. They've got to do things differently. Right now, they're taking the mental thought frame of there's a rhino with liberty. I mean, there's a Republican with libertarian tendencies. Let's try to work with them. And that is always acceptable in the startup of anything in life. People forget Apple almost went bankrupt and Microsoft bought what, like 10 or 15% of them and literally saved their tails. You know, what I'm saying is when you're young and you're growing, alignments that will go away 10, 15, 20 years can and will always happen. I'm not saying that's happening here. So why did, so, so here again, strategically, here's what I'm going to ask you. Why didn't the Libertarian Party co-run masters? Because that's not how politics works and the Republicans would never have had it. You know, it, it's I could tell I could tell you it's happened in New York. No, no, <laughs> that's a blue state. Arizona is a different makeup. It used to be a red state that's been a purple state for now about 15 years, 20 years. And there's a different type of battle that's going on. People don't like to admit that. But there is no battle in California. You know, as bad as Biden has created this country right now in the eyes of many, it's still a deep blue state, no different than New York. The fact <laughs> that the hockey lie or whatever is pissing race yeah. away because she's too stupid to realize how to blatantly lie like she used to do in the past is she's, why she's going to, she's going to, Lee Zeldin's not going to win. He, he, well, he's not going to win, but he's making it a race. Oh, I'm sorry. The Regardless, the point, the, I, so the back to Masters, John. Yeah. What I'm trying to tell you is both sides have legitimate righteousness in this. The Libertarian Party and the Mises Caucus are tired of being nothing but losers since 1972. And they want to do something and they want to make an impact in a moment. Is this the right one? Again, if I'm a Libertarian and I'm looking at the parties representing me, my beliefs, no, because he's a Republican. You know, I agree but, with you. But if they're going to get something out of it, then that's something different. 
My belief is they're not going to get anything out of it. And this guy should have negotiated maybe a, a donation to the party. Negotiated something legal, but that would benefit the Libertarian Party. Uh, I disagree with the polling because uh, I've been following polling since 2016 very closely. And prior to that, I'm a self-taught statistician. Uh, I'm using that word too big because I'm barely self-taught in terms of how to create surveys, how to do polls properly, because I had to do that for marketing of, of my huh. company. So so I'm familiar with that, how that works. And it's not a lie. It's not a myth. When you look at the raw data, most polls today, they're dog crap and they they they, they pull leftists all the way, it's to create a narrative. Now, you may disagree with my answer to create a narrative, and I'm not going to argue that, but there is no denying when you look at the actual data. What happens is about a month out is when the polls start to get tighter and tighter and tighter, and that's simple economics. A company doesn't want to be seen as, oh, dude, they were way off, you know, so these races tighten up. So I would look at the polling now to see what percentage of a difference uh, this libertarian candidate will actually make. Uh, the, the, um, the poll, I, the polls I'm quoting were from like a week ago. They they had no no, the no I'm talking about the real clear politics always has a cumulative version. cumulative and yeah saying, and 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 so does five thirty eight yeah yeah just focus on the legitimate. and 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 that's what five thirty eight did basically every poll no, five thirty eight is very biased I followed them from their startup days John I don't follow them anymore and now I'm talking about their opinion but they also know there's a lot of bad polling and they still calculate that into their formulas because they swing a left this way they haven't really gotten much right since the Obama years yeah that's the actual current debate that's going on within the Democratic Party is how good is is Nate what's his name Nate Silver Nate Silver anymore. Yeah, he. He's I had a, to say that because people assume he's never wrong. He's, I didn't say no. Nobody said he's never you, wrong not, in general. What but as mean? a statistician myself, as a data analyst myself, as a data scientist, I could tell you, I have faith in what he does. It's and people think that you have to be right all the time, but that's not oh, anyway. No, no, I, I don't deny uh, his formulas and all that. I, I actually question the data he's using, not the formulas he's created or things like right, that. Right, which he which get Obama smack dab on the money. Which is fair enough. I tend to agree with you. I think most people don't know how to take polls in a fair way. But anyway, regardless, anything that we have that's actually out there, whether take it for what it's worth, it shows both candidates in a dead heat, which is different than having them having showed the Democrat up by 10 points, say, two months ago. So the, you're right. The, <laughs> the race has tightened, and it's been Masters who's been catching up. Excuse me. The Republican has been catching up, right? Right. So, and again, that that that's my whole basis of the outlier pose. And my personal belief is to create a positive image for the Democrats. John, there has not been an election cycle where this formula has not gone off without a hitch. Meaning the Democrats. I mean, didn't you question just 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 logically thinking six months ago when the economy was shitting, and I do mean it that way, shitting on itself, and yet there's Biden's poll number starting to rise above 46, 47. Oh, he's over 50 percent for the first time. I'm like, what the hell? Who are you polling? Then you look at the data, and, and and it's very questionable. And now everything's. And I'm just using him as an example. But we should have been questioning that. Uh, I'm looking right now at the, uh, and the reason I say that is because now everything's completely changed. It's it's Kelly's it has a plus two. It's a toss up. Uh, 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 I'm looking at your polls here, and you're right, plus one, plus one, plus two, plus six. I would immediately question the New York Times poll, though, you know. So I can't. I guess my point is, John, you are absolutely correct. 
That one to two point difference appears to be something that can make a, make a difference. And with that said, you asked for what I would have done strategically. I would have listened to the elders on the surface. Got what you're saying, boss. I respect that. That's my initial thought. Let me go dig in and see what's happening. And then knowing that my people's votes can determine this election, that's when philosophy gets thrown out of the window and you got to get down to business for the Libertarian Party political machine. And that means, <clears throat> what do I get if I deliver you my people? That's Fair what enough. that guy should Fair enough. And and see, that's different philosophy I, and politics. I See, now, I would agree with that, right? If you're in a position to be a kingmaker, at least become the queen. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, yeah. like, there's... Unless, look, we don't know for sure what, what really happened. If this guy- What are would, they saying happened, though? Nothing. They're just saying that this guy, and apparently this guy, and I have to admit, I only know about him a little bit. I didn't know about him. He's a little bit of a flake. In other words- Who? Uh, Victor. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, Mark Victor, because he's not, I don't know how much of a libertarian he is, but he calls his movement the live and let live movement. And it's basically an anti-war movement. Sure, it's not a Roger Moore, James Bond movie. Yeah, right. Uh, it, it he described it as an anti-war movement. In other words, that's his litmus test. That's his that's his core issue: anti-war. So, to the extent that that lines up with libertarian thinking, fine. To the extent that I think he's an entrepreneur, fine. But if that was the case, he he should have gone to the Republicans and the, or the Mises Caucus, whoever was pulling the strings, and said, "What are you going to do for us?" Right, exactly. What exactly. are you going to do for us? Are you going to make a, and you said nothing illegal. And are we going to see a donation? Are you going to help local libertarians in Arizona become like dog catcher or county commissioner or whatever, just to raise the profile of libertarians in the state? John, my next question to you and to them and to any libertarian, because this is extremely important as the machine gets built up. So for example, locally, if the National Party wants, they can come in and rule the roost locally. They, they, they never do because they don't care. That's why Democrats rule the nation right now, because they understand the importance of local. Republicans don't do that, but they have the power to do that. Mitt Romney took all the money that he's supposed to share with the California uh, Party here when he ran and abused the system and took it off for himself, not personally, but for his campaign. Uh, Democrats have a similar machine. And, and I bring this up because when they squeeze those cojones, they're not joking around. They will crush them. Does the National Libertarian Party have that kind of power? I would say no for many reasons. But if they don't have that power, then all this is a moot point because what it boils down to is how much of a libertarian Mark Victor is. Because if the National Party has has, has no uh, uh, ability to sway or do anything, then hell, they shouldn't even be tweeting about why we should support Blake Masters, you know, uh, uh, because they had no sway in it. They should stay out of it themselves. Uh, better to stay out of it and not alienate anyone than to take a side you're not fully informed of or understand what happened and then lose. Well, support. there's also, and again, I think these, I don't know if these are rumors, facts or whatever. <clears throat> the rumblings are that the Mises Caucus has also been sending money to MAGA candidates around the country. But, you know, John, races. you have enough candidates. I would say you do, but uh, maybe they say something. My question would be, and this isn't a question you can answer, anybody answer, but you got to look into the group at the people. 
Where are their origin stories? As I love to say on TV now, oh, that's her origin story, whether it's soap opera or comedy, you know, because it's a superhero genre. But the reason I say that is, what are the roots of that libertarian? Are there roots from the Republican Party? You know, are there roots? Is it the Silver Spoon no, kid no, I'm, I'm, whose I'm, daddy I'm, was a Republican? I'm not no, saying anybody specifically. Right, right. The accusation is that they're not even sending it to, they're not even sending it to, say, uh, MAGA guys who are masquerading as libertarians, they're flat out supporting monetarily uh, Republican candidates. Well, 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 then that you're answering, you're starting to get some data there. You have support Blake Masters, a Trump-backed Republican. They were sending money to Trump back. Again, you got to go to the heart and soul. Who's calling the shots and what is their origin story? As corny as that sounds. I love saying it though. Yeah, origin story. Yeah, but here's the funny thing. Um, to tie this up, this is also a concern of a lot of people from the old guard, myself included, not that I consider myself a political old guard, but just an old school libertarian. The Mises folks are making it very easy to shepherd in disaffected alt-right people that the Republican Party, for perception purposes, cannot be aligned with. Oh, stop. They won't be aligned with them because we disagree with them. No, no, no. I said, <laughs> yeah, I what mean... I said was, these are guys who support Trump, and whether it's for good or bad purposes, the Republican Party doesn't want anything to do with them. Right. Usually because they're racist. They're idiots. Yeah. Fair, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. You know, John, I don't see that happening as much as what you have is a child who doesn't know the rules. I agree. But let me ask you something. Yeah. In the Republican plank, when the Mises caucus took over, they removed two planks. Okay. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. One of them was regarding abortion, <clears throat> which, honestly, I understood them taking it out. The assumption is that libertarians are pro-abortion. I, I think you guys were pro-choice, too, most of them. Yeah, but in my opinion, <clears throat> it's probably more like 60-40, 65-35 pro. Well, believe There's it or a, not, John, it's literally a 50-50 split in those yeah, choice for life. And, and quite honestly... Every party has that problem. To me, abortion is the one unsolvable issue politically. But what I'm hearing is the second one. and, and I The would, second I would, one is the big problem. Yeah, go ahead. You don't mess with the plank. The only time I have ever seen conservatives rise up and win in the state where we have been bludgeoned over and over and over is when they try to mess with the plank with certain things like marriage or religion or things like right. that. And that's that's when you go to war. And I support the conservatives who go to war over that. Because once you have the inf once that infrastructure is gone, i.e. the plank, and the plank people in, in political terms is kind of like each state's a constitution. Right. The constitution. Parties, the party's constitution. The parties. Well, no, no, each state has their own little tweaks, just, just like right. that. But I'm saying it's but, the state party's constitution. Oh, right, right. Exactly, exactly. So what is the big reveal here, John? Which one here is it that they should not have touched? The one that denounced racism and bigotry. They took that out of the plank. Now, no, I've heard I why they did it. And technically speaking, you can't disagree. But perception wise, as I just said earlier, yeah. it's a See, So the, this is actually where your words are coming to support my opinion right now, because they took out the 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 the, 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 the part of the plank that said the Libertarian Party strongly denounces uh, racism, bigotry, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Pretty standard language. The Mises guys threw it out because they thought they didn't want any restriction on speech. 
they didn't want to exclude people. And listen, Andrea McArdle, if you see the Reason interview with her, she says, what's a bigot? I don't know what a bigot is. Anybody no, 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 can call someone else a bigot. Dog. Technically, For, you're right. No argument for me. Right. But perception is the I, perception is not truth, but that is the truth we see. Right. And that's what guys like Justin Amash said. Like, he goes, what purpose do you serve by taking that out? All you're doing is feeding into the concept. And by the way, Justin Amash, they asked him, do you think the Mises Caucus is bringing in these alt-right Nazis and whatnot, racists? And he said, no, I do not. I think they're just enthusiastic kids trying to make a name for themselves. You but know, now he's changed his mind. On, if you disagree with anything and you're white, you're you're just screamed at as a racist. So, so, so there's a lot of lies and BS out there that has nothing to do with race that people. But I, that I don't, said, dis I don't by disagree. taking that out, they're giving the perception yes. that it is about race. Well, guess who wrote in to provide a compromise? Dave Smith or Justin Amato? No, no. Dave By Smith Cohen? was was strictly Mises Caucus, and he well, supported Justin taking... Amash. Then, huh? No, no, it was actually our old buddy Spike Cohen. Oh, Spike so, Cohen. Okay. So Spike Cohen uh, put in some alternate plank. So he says, "Okay, we lost that vote. They vo the Mises Caucus took over. <laughs> they voted to take it out." He says, "What he did is he put a coalition together to at least put this in." And uh, I'm paraphrasing now, but it was basically saying. Um, the Libertarian Party believes uh, something along the lines that everyone should have the opportunity to succeed under the banner of freedom and liberty. In other words, he tried to phrase it in the positive, like instead right, of saying yeah, we yeah, don't yeah. want racists, he tried to phrase it, it in his, it right? He tried to face it. But the damage was done in the sense that this had already become a story. You know, John, I hate to tell you, but one potential outcome that some of your elders may look at when I talk about elders, maybe there's people a split. Yeah, uh, well, no, not a split because you guys aren't enough of a party to really split and be effective. And, and, and I say that for two reasons. One, you guys in the Republican parties just don't seem to care enough to understand the importance of local election. And that's where you build your politicians from the ground up. Right. You always want to jump into the state or congressional. Right, track, right. You know, uh, 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 but uh, so, so, so you guys aren't spread out enough or big enough to, to make a difference. So a split would literally destroy you. But I, what I can see happen is people like you, uh, not you, but people who are politically active, but with your mentality, just not getting involved. And the Mises caucus slowly withers away and dies. Because at the end of the day, this is what I used to tell young entrepreneurs, uh, especially after I showed uh, uh, KFFL, is Look, you may think you're hip, you know, with those sandals, those slots, that long hair, that goatee. But at the end of the day, every single person you're trying to get out of me to talk to, they're an old man who's white, who's wearing the suit. So eventually, you've got to play by their rules. And for Mises to grow, they're going to have to eventually come to an understanding of the political rules in place. Rich people don't become rich only to hear a snot-nosed, shit-faced kid tell them, this is what we're doing, and then the guy's going to give him money. No, it's a quid pro quo. And once, you know, if they don't learn that, they will wither away and die. You know, and your party may end up taking five steps, three steps back to move forward five steps. So yeah. that's, and that's an option. I would tell people who are 50 and over, you got to consider yeah, the Libertarian Party is not going to be anything in your lifetime. Maybe you can help replant some of the seeds out there. Or these Mises kids do smart enough. And the greatest example is Rand Paul versus Ron Paul. Ron Paul was a kid who withered away and died. 
20 years, one bill passed. Libertarians would sit there and take their bottle and go home once he got knocked out of the election. Nothing was ever gained in terms of growing the party. And the data actually shows that. You guys aren't even at a solid 1% to 3% uh, on a year to year. Now, I'm not saying that to hurt him. I'm saying it because that's what I truly believe. And I think the data backs it up. Then you look at Rand Paul. Rand Paul, for a little while, teetered on libertarian pure betrayal, how many looked at him. And some still do. I do. But 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 see, you're not your philosopher, so you don't count. You okay. really don't, because you don't involve yourself in the party. You know, you may donate here or there, but you're that one vote that they would love to get you to vote regularly, uh, and maybe you do, but you're not involved in helping build a new party. Yeah. You know, I'm talking about the Rand Pauls and the people who he's bringing to the party to the kind of help influence. So if he, if the Mises kids can become a Rand Paul, your party can grow into a viable party because your way's dead. Your way has never well, worked because it's a philosopher's way, and that's utopian uh, fantasy, which I want to believe, but it won't happen. What they, so you got to hope they grow and mature into understanding the political world. Well, the the Mises kids would be, as as we've been calling them, would be aghast because it really was Ron Paul and his campaigns. Even though you say they amounted to nothing, those were actually the seeds that were planted twenty five years ago. Yeah, Literally, we don't know how long this is going to last. This Mises run. I mean, it's no, but I'm saying kids, those kids are so fragile. Though, I'm saying those are the kids that 10, 15 years ago were energized by Ron Paul's ideas, and they're the ones who are taking over right now. So, oh, no, no, I get that. I get that. But it, my point is still on point. At the end of the day, they're not growing the Libertarian Party right now. They're growing Blake Masters' campaign and these other Make America Great Again campaigns versus taking those little dollars they have and going, we got to find us some quality Libertarian candidates that have a realistic shot and help them out. Or, 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 or the other one is take that money and fight the proper court cases. Right, like, exactly. I, the I, point I, being is, there's so, so to me, <laughs> they're thinking uh, like Ron Paul, and that's not thinking two to three steps ahead. But he aggravates the bleep out of me because when I look at, I'm a results-driven guy. I look at his actual results in 20 years of Congress and, and then I look at the Libertarian Party, where it was when he started, where it was when he left. Uh, the growth is inconsequential because it's not really enough to make an impact across the nation. Sure, a race here, a race there, but those are never a given. They're always the exception. Because you know? here's my issue with polling today and why I say that is, look how messed up it was with Trump. And if you look back even earlier, you'll see certain cycles where the polling really was not spot on or even close uh, in terms of the majority of these companies. So I look at this, this growth has got to be faster. It's got to be bigger. And you got to stick to your libertarian beliefs if that's who you are. You know, as a Republican, I'm like, I, I can see the logic, but as a libertarian, I would be aghast if I was you, you know, and, and, and I would be looking to challenge the Mises people with grooming other people. And that's where I think you guys may have an issue, whereas Democrats or Republican, there's always somebody mentoring somebody. There's always somebody with money wanting to get involved. Do you guys have enough of a minor league system uh, outside of immature kids who have uncontrolled passion? And the reason I say that is Democrats have control passion. They know how to keep the young ones. The AOCs of the world are the true exception to the rule. But Republicans and, and Democrats, they know how to keep that energy tempered uh, so it doesn't hurt the party. It seems like you, libertarians may not have that in place yet. And again, you guys are just such, look, 1970 people is a long time. 
but that party's never had a solid footing in terms of building itself up across the nation. You guys need a, uh, who are those, the Koch brothers? I never understood why they didn't, aren't they libertarians? I never understood oh. why they didn't really put a lot of money into oh, you one of, they They were large political contributors for a long time. And one of them, I think David ran for vice president in the uh, on the libertarian ticket in 1980 or 84, I forget. Well, first of all, one of them is dead. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. one reason. Oh, yeah. But no, see, look, he, part of the problem also, and it's going to sound like whining, but it's actually just a fact. Um, the two parties, not just libertarians, as soon as any party seems to be growing in the polls, even that one to 3% that you're talking about, all of a sudden the rules change. Like, and, and the true. example- That is the, true. Very the example true. I mentioned here is- Look, we were we were kind of enjoying. We were watching the Chrissy Mayer podcast because she was hold, hosting a debate between right. Larry Hawkins, who is the Green Party candidate for governor in New York, and Larry Sharp, the Libertarian Party candidate. Why are they on a a large breasted female comedian's podcast instead of some serious venue? Because New York State Andrew Cuomo's departing gift was to change the ballot access rules. Now, mind you, both Sharp and Hawkins had achieved ballot access in New York for their parties because of the results of the gubernatorial race in 2020, meaning they got enough votes to say you have automatic ballot access. You know, John, why the courts, I just, it's, I, I'm in total agreement with you, yeah. but at the same time, you guys are kind of screwed right now because y'all just don't have enough people involved. You know, we have too many philosophers, not enough doers. No, well, it's not that, William. I I get what oh, you're no, saying. Oh, no, it is that, because that's something every American, if you sat there and said, well, should this person be on the ballot? Blah, 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 I, I guarantee you, most of them, oh, yeah, sure. You know, there's a core group that can be galvanized to change this. That's the problem with the two-party corrupt system we have. I agree. That, and, that, that but, screws. but the only way we can change it is by growing our party. I don't disagree with you, but what do you do, like, as a practical matter? You said you're a practical man. You, you what do you do? You what do you, right. And they're suing them. But yeah. guess what happened? They're, they're going to sue. They're going to win probably their court case, but it'll be after this election. That's right. And that's purposely done that way. Of course. And I know the courts. See, to me, I would be hell on wheels. I'd be impeaching judges left and right. Because if I'm like a person, I'm like, no, judge, you're going to hear this freaking next week because there's an election two months from now. You're not going to allow this crap to be put six months or I'm going to impeach your ass. But we'll never do that. You know, there's no system or mechanism in place to really do that. But right. that to me is the responsibility of a judge and how they should look at each situation. Now, granted, that's practicality in real life you may have six months of murder cases stacked up but still there should be some kind of, i've always thought there's i've never pushed it or even talked about it because it's so easily corruptible corruptible is there should be a a a a a, a series or, or or an x amount of courtrooms just set up for political pratfalls like this because you're right but at the end of the day that's not the system that's in place. And that means uh, you guys were caught with your pants down, just like conservatives are by the Republican Party all the time, just like progressives used to be back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s by, by the O-Guard. And it's just something to lesson learned. And you've got the, the battle. Because at the end of the day, uh, uh, here's my issue with conservatism and liberalism today. Uh, 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 and, and there's a difference between a, a conservative. I'm not talking about a rhino, not about never Trump, a conservative, is we'll always vote to do what's right. 
you know, a rhino, a never Trumper, a progressive, they won't. They're going to vote for their ideology or beliefs that it right. makes sense. You know, see, so my point being is the battle becomes that much harder. But just like these polls we take that, oh, I'm a libertarian, you're going to get the same response. People would right. not buy that. In fact, I would argue, even though I would vote against it, is that just because you sign up to be in a race, uh, uh, most people will go, yeah, they should be on the debate stage then. I'm like, oh, bullshit, because that shit costs money. Yeah, but I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about you had ballot access. You you're running as like Larry Sharp. Give you various examples of how how candidates get screwed. And at the end of the day, John, there is no answer except try to galvanize the people. And again, that's why I go look in the mirror. When's the last time? Because you know what, John, I used to be one of those people. I used to loathe myself at times. I got involved. It took Obama to get me involved because I wanted to prove to people. Hey, my grandmother, who was called the N-word, who's black, my Asian-looking si- or, or cousins, my brown skin, I'm like, we are not who you're trying to tell us we are. So I wanted people to learn that, no, we are very diverse and we are not a monolithic culture. Right. You know, so I got involved. And and maybe that makes me a bit of a hypocrite because, uh, uh, not a hypocrite in the sense, uh, 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 maybe high and mighty or on my throne. I don't care because the only way change is ever going to take place is for people to get involved. Again, I always jokingly say every man out there can tell you how big Kim Kardashian's ass is, but nobody, but they can't tell you about that school board decision that just uh, 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 approved the ability to, to bend your kid over and take her pants off. You know, it's a, we don't know about that, but we know about everything else. So my point is our priorities, that's on us in the mirror. We got to look in the mirror and I'm just, I'm preaching to the choir because I'm sure you'll agree. But at the end of the day, nine out of 10 Americans won't care. And they're going to still keep staring at Kim Kardashian's butt while their little girls gets pulled down. You know, and it's terrible to say it like that, but that's kind of what's kind of happening in the public school systems now in some cases. Did you know New York City? I'm really digressing. Real quick. New York City is like one of the highest numbers of teachers uh, who, who show up every morning to a classroom because they can't be fired. And ranging from everything from sexual assault of a minor to just not being a good teacher. They're you know? called rubber rooms. Yeah, exactly. That's right. That's right. That's right. But my point to you is. Human, I'm sad to say I don't see human nature changing. So this is one of those things that uh, I don't know if it's going to be able to be changed. But it, but if libertarians and the Green Party don't unite to help create this change and the other smaller parties, uh, then we are no better at challenging the system than we are supporting the two-party system. My point being, if we're not going to do anything as, as Americans and New York citizens, then we're getting kind of what we deserve, don't you think? To some extent, you're right. Um, but if the courts aren't, if the courts aren't part of the process of reform in this particular in these particular political cases, then it's always tough because, like, the, there's only so much war one can wage, especially on the individual yeah. level. So, like, you know, like I, I, my heart goes out to Larry Sharp and to Howie Hawkins, even though I don't agree with him on anything. Because look, these guys really bled. Their 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 supporters bled. They went out and got the required signatures. They got the required money. And right. then that's the issue, John. Is they did everything by the rules, and then the bullies uh, changed the rules because they did it. Because Mitt Romney did that to who in 2012? Um, I'm not sure who. Ron Paul. At oh, the convention. Ron Paul. Okay. Yeah. They changed the way the states delegates and all were counted. Right. Right. Oh, that's what it was. Uh, the way it was set up, if I'm correct, he would have been allowed to have airtime or something like that. 
It, ha it had to do with him having a voice, and they yeah, wanted yeah. to mitigate that. You know, Mitt Romney taught me a lot. He opened my eyes to how truly corrupt human beings in the guise of God-giving people can be. Because that's what Mitt Romney is. He is a scum of the earth. And uh, uh, I don't care how many good things you've done, because the, when you've hurt as many people as he have, they're, 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 then that's between you and God. I judge you. <laughs> and, and, I, and I live with the fact that God may look at you differently, but I don't. He's not a good man. And that, sadly, is what's representative. You may not have liked Trump, but that's what Trump was fighting. You know, Trump was the outsider, whether people want to admit it or not. And that's why everybody hated him. That's what was a pileup. Trump had no defenders except the people who actually voted for him and the people who were affected by him and his policies, you know? So sometimes we got to look in the mirror and admit who and what we are as well. And if we're going to stay on the sidelines, then we're getting what we deserve. Like California, we're getting what we deserve, you know? Okay. Yeah. I think you're getting what you deserve in New York if you don't if you guys don't galvanize and change this. What are your thoughts? I like I said, I think to some extent now we've we've flipped roles, right? Like you're giving me the correct philosophical thing of like it's up to the people, the people own their lives and this and that. The truth but of the matter know, John, is I say that because it's doable and that's the only way to do it. But I'm saying I, I don't disagree with you. But it it you have to be willing to put up with so many short term lo losses. Yes, that is true. That people it's it's designed to tire people out, you know. And it's like you, at some point you give up, and what happens is you say, you know. And that's why I said I have a lot of respect for Larry Sharp. The guy's been through so much. And by the way, his campaign is mostly self funded, and he's not a super wealthy man. Oh no, exactly. I know that. I, he, he's a smart guy, though. Yeah, uh, you, you know, so, John. I agree with you. You know what I lament that we no longer have. Uh, you should tell people before the industrial revolution there would be an actual civil war revolution every fifty to hundred to two hundred years yeah. that would cleanse all this corruption and it would start anew because that's human nature and power corrupts and it corrupts absolutely. Once the industrial revolution started and then weapons of mass destruction were created, civilization has completely changed. And the governments we have are the governments are, are going to bring down the nations that they used to build because of the corruption of the people. It's no different than Rome. You know, Rome at the end of the day had every every border, the Eastern Front, the Western Front, the Northern Front. They were being invaded by everybody because of the corruption. People don't realize the Roman army was no more. The Roman army was completely formed out at the fall of Rome. The point being is the people had quit. They had given up. Right. They got what they deserved. And that was the end of Rome and the greatness. Yeah. You know? So that's human nature. And, and with that, Big John, uh, uh, I would agree with you. Mark, the, the Mises caucus should not have done anything unless they got something out of it. And even then, that uh, uh, would should never be, or if they did get something, will never be known publicly. But they should be talking to these elders in back channels. Hey, this is what we got. What yeah. did you do for the party to grow it? Because that, that would be my take. As a young kid, I'm going to grow this party. And every time somebody challenges me, if I'm growing the party successfully, I'm going to throw that back in their face and shut them up. Because you can be an advisor but you weren't winners. You know, you can learn from failure and not make mistakes, but don't preach to me that this will work when you kind of failed at it. So right. the Mises caucus in their defense, they're in a position no one's really held. But then again, 
nobody had kind of tried to take over the party as they did successfully. So it's going to be fun to watch. And I'll be watching through your eyes uh, uh, and picking your brain about it. I am fascinated by Dave Smith because of the quandary he's in with his background as a comedian. Because again, I don't care what he thinks people should think. It's what people will think. And sheep are very easy to take out of context or take. It's easier to deliver an out of context message to a sheep than it isn't. So he's a fascinating figure. I'm no fan of Josh, Justin Amash. I, I think he's a nobody, didn't accomplish anything, but he's a party leader. What I'm saying is he's earned his stature in the eyes of the party and he has a voice in that party. I love Larry Sharp. I don't know Spike Cohen well enough in terms of seeing his work, but I love Larry Sharp because he's practical. He's my kind of, that's what I am. I'm a, uh, you call me a conservative. I just view myself as a practical American, you know? Uh, but then again, practicality plays a big part in life when you have two dictators you see maiming and killing and abusing your people. I was going to say, I don't call you a conservative. You call yourself a conservative. Oh, that's because at the end of the day, when you break it down, what am I really? Because uh, Oh, and it's also practical. At the end of the day, there may be things in the Libertarian Party I'm closer to, but I guess a confession, I just realized, I'm like you. I don't want to do all these endless battles. So I'm going to go to a party that has similar values as I do, but right. that is big enough that can actually make a difference. And again, I, for the audience, uh, I told John maybe a week ago, maybe less, that it, it just clicked in my head. I do know libertarians here uh, in the Republican Party. And I asked them, why don't you have your own party? Uh, and they told me, well, we did. We tried. But we couldn't get anybody to come. Right. So he goes, so, so the few of us that did come, we decided to join the Republican Party and try to impart and try to educate some libertarian ways. That's what they told me. This isn't me making it up in the sense of like, this is what I think they said. Right. That was their goal, to try to bring some libertarianism to the local San Diego party. And they've kind of failed. They're like me right now on the outside looking in because we've kind of self-removed ourselves from the equation. Because you're right, John, you kind of get tired of losing the battle, battle. And then when your allies are fundamentalists and they look at everything from the fundamentalist point of view, you're going to be battling with them, you know, too. So, so what, That's do, true. what do we do? We just like, well, we're going to take a step back, you know? Yeah, but I took a step back from this project and a couple of others. I do hope to get back into politics one day because I could be the Latino one. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, William Del Pilar, the Latino lover. <laughs> be the politician with the most mistresses. There you go. I, I say my goal is to be Bill Clinton Sr. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm just kidding. John, it's a great episode. You educated us. I apologize. I pushed back a little uh, and digressed some of it, but I think it was a spirited uh, debate. We do look at politics different, but I think we both understand each other's point of view. Whether we agree with it or not doesn't matter. We right. both understand that's how life works. Sure. Yeah. That, that was the whole point of this. And with that, Big John, any final words before uh, 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 I tell people where to go to catch the show? Uh, no, I think uh, we've talked enough. It's been at least two hours, I think, that we've been gabbing. So uh, certainly you should find something to listen to in this uh, podcast. But no, go ahead. Do your promos, William. <laughs> Everybody, look, this is Fired Up, episode nine. My original episode nine disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, it's it's strange to see John on Fired Up. He's usually with the big questions or points on the board, but this is a political, and we have another political libertarian-style theme show lined up. Uh, so you can check this episode and my Trump episode, which is my most viewed Fired Up, and I think, don't quote me, but I'm thinking probably our most viewed video. It uh, might be. 
and uh, it's a Trump one, and, and, and it's a two, it's an hour and a half diatribe on its stats, facts, and my personal opinion. You can check those and find those at sportsgrumblings.com, rumble.com, uh, YouTube, on podcast, Stitcher, Google Play, or, or the Google uh, uh, platform, as well as Amazon. I think we're on Amazon, too. Yep, Amazon, and, Spotify, uh, everywhere. And it's not just fired up. We have points on the board. We just had, it seems like politics and identity politics is our shtick the last couple of weeks because our, our, our last point on the board, which is just went up a couple of days ago, we talked about the anti-Semitism uh, between Ye, formerly known as Kanye West, uh, Kyrie Irving, for those right. who don't know, big time NBA player and, and no black Americans playing in the uh, World Series. It's Politics, sports and politics, John, had delved into one in many ways. But you can find those as well as John's Libertarian Library. He's building a Big Questions with Big John that right now has Spike Cohen, Larry Sharp, Bob uh, uh, Zadig. Zadig. I was going to say yeah. Zadig. And, and even Matt Nagin, another comedian, who's uh, uh, John would sit there saying he's probably more of a, 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 a libertarian Trumper. Trumper. He's a uh, Trumper. But at the end of the day, he's one of your guys, and y'all need all the help you can get. And with that, America, thank you for joining in. We shall catch you on the next go-round. This is William Del Pilar, the conservative Latino with Fired Up, and we are out. Good night, America. Good night.